Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. <laughs> Look at what I did, right? Um, some of us are proud. Yeah. I, I, yeah. This is where I'm coming from. You've heard of the Swans and Proctors, Bradford? Yes, I have. You know those are my cousins. They hate, they hate us. We're nigger lovers. <laughs> yeah. One of yeah. my friends in the D N program at Howard, one of my doctor passed me, she married one. Uh uh-huh. but they're divorced. She's dark. Yeah. My my one of my great aunts was a proctor that married my father's mother's brother, and the family had a funeral for her. Threw all of her stuff out. Don't come back. You're dead to us. Go with that nigger. And so, so this is why I don't like this whole licensing thing. It's just all of them can die as far as I'm concerned. I mean, so for me, uh, mm mm. So yeah, they are family, but mm mm mm. And so my mother's a Lancaster. All the Lancasters have, they broke off from the other light-skinned families. And so uh-huh. <laughs> they, they are, every, all of them married dark to, to get away from, from them because they have, uh-huh. they're retarded and inbred. And oh, yeah. I'm a, we're ashamed of them. In fact, my aunt Justice, who was from the Proctor family, basically never called or spoke to her family because she was happy to be with my uncle. So she never even told her kids. She wouldn't even bring up the fact that she's a proctor. They didn't even know. That's how much she hated mm-hmm. them over the cover stuff. Wow. And um, so, yeah, by the way, that's something that you have to understand. Um, if I see someone dark skin mistreated by somebody light skin, that flips me out. I, I can't handle that. And that, that'll make me very angry. Um, so, you know, by the way, Sister Bradford, I went to Cleveland Elementary, mm-hmm. one block from the church where you're the minister of music. Oh, did, yeah. you, did, you, did you know they used to seat the students by color? In no, school? I did not. Okay, I'd never no, experienced no, that. And all, the kids who, all the kids who I worked with in the neighborhood came from, from my, at the school were, were from Cleveland, all of them. Yeah, well, I'm talking about in the 70s. And and it and it was it it I I never experienced that among black people because I went to school with whites where everybody black was a nigger. I had never heard a yellow nigger, or if you you know you're light you're all right. I I never mm-hmm. never oh my god it just made me so angry when I figured out that's what this is why I was the smartest in the class. But that's not fair to separate me from other people. And and that's, that's I'm telling you, a real story, and I'm done with this. I was playing with a guy I liked, and one of the teachers came up 
and grabbed me by my arm and asked me, what was I doing? What are you doing? And I was playing, holding his hand, and she snatched our hands apart and says, you don't play with people like him. Oh, and I'm like, well, why not? She says, I know your family, and I know your father. If I tell him, I won't have any problems with you. And oh. I never saw, yeah, because my father, someone called home, my father will kick ass first and ask questions later. And I'll never forget how angry and hurt the other boy who was much darker than me, he felt like I rejected him. And I had nothing to do I mean, I couldn't overcome the teacher and certainly not going to overcome. You remember Reverend Short. <laughs> mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. So I. Randy. Yeah. I was, I was in the 10th grade. I was in the 10th grade. Of course, I went to Carver High School. We were segregated at the time. I went to 10th. I'll never forget Mr. Willis Hall was his name, 10th grade. And I wrote, I wrote all, would write all the time. I was 15 and I remember turning a paper in. And I got the paper back and had an F on it. And I'm wondering, why am I getting an F on this paper? And it was well written. He told me, he said, you didn't write that paper. I said, yes, I did. I wrote this paper. And the reason was, so why did he say that? He said, it sounds like a white girl wrote it. That was my mm. school teacher in the 10th grade. Mm. And I'll never, I'll never forget that. Mm. He well, taught, I'm... And he took Never did change his mind. He said a white girl wrote that. Wow. Well, I'm going to leave you with this. My brother's girlfriend, Darian Porter, became school queen for McKinley High School in 1978. Darian is beautiful, looks like Lapita. Mm. And guess what? Mm. They wouldn't let her get on the stage for the coronation. Yet the lightest skinned people in her court were on stage. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. It was a thing. Uh, that color thing was something. It, it's really bad here in D.C. Luckily for Darian, her mother's light skin with long hair. She pitched a fit up in there. And they reluctantly let her get on stage and be crowned queen of school. Oh, wow. And th- th- this, is, this is why I talk about this stuff, Heard. I don't know about Memphis, but here, I mean, some of these people, you know, they, it just, this is, this is how it is. And it's very entrenched and it's hard to prove many times that it's happening, but I can assure you at my high school, there was a woman, I'm forgetting her last name, but she was a principal. She was very dark in complexion. They only let her be assistant principal until they could find a lighter woman to get the job. <laughs> and wow. this is, I mean, and just black people pretend this stuff's not going on, you know. Um, yeah. And so, mm, anyway, we need to do our interview, and I'm going to be ready in just a few. But Brother Ronald Hurd has a this program called We All Be Radio, and he knows – Everybody, Dick Gregory, oh, everybody, and you, uh-huh. you, and you, Memphis, you Memphis. Yes, ma'am, Memphis. And people listen to that show down in Alabama and in Mississippi and in Arkansas and in Tennessee. Oh wow! And I have a feeling if you do his show, 
a whole lot more people be interested in you. And so don't let no chicken and a biscuit coon preacher <laughs> disrespect you. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I I just uh, I don't know. Heard knows how I feel about crooked preachers. Okay, yeah, people think I'm <laughs> well, Mr. Hurd, Ronald. Let me give you my telephone number. Is your last name H U R D or H E A R? Uh, it's like H E R D without the A. But I know some H U R D Herds. Uh, but yeah, it'd be an honor to talk to you. It's like H E A R D. Without the A, it's like a herd of cattle. Oh, hurt. Okay, like that hurt. There are three of them. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that hurts. Well, keep in touch. I used to be in. I used to be in television, and and I used to, and I was a writer with Newsweek and New Magazine and LA Times. Oh, did you oh, see yeah. that wow. Gibson from Newsweek, the black CIA agent? Black CIA. At Newsweek. Oh, I haven't read Newsweek in a while. His name is Gibson. He was spying on all the black expatriate writers in Europe. Oh wow! And that's that's what well, I'll send you an email of it. But Sister Brad, from here on out, I'm going to be in touch with you. But I want to start trying to send you emails of people who do programs because I'm going to tell you something. The story you just told is so powerful, it would be a multi-million dollar children's book, an animated film. I've got so many stories to tell. In fact, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to, I hope to write a children's book on E.B. Nixon and intertwine some of my If if you do that, I know some phenomenal graphic artists that are very reasonable. Yeah. Very reasonable. And then I'm going to go one step further. Um, Jess, I've got some other people I'm going to send your way. Please involve me. I would love to be a part of of, of that. Let me tell you something very quick. Let me tell you both of something very quickly. I came back here and I found out the Alabama Archives, one of the Alabama Archives of Alabama, was doing a special a seminar on the Southern Courier. Now, this is a newspaper that the guys from Harvard and Radcliffe came and got me when I was 14 years old from my grandmother's house mm-hmm. to write because they said I was a writer and I was, somebody told them, go find this child, this girl. So they came to my house one Friday night and got me. That's how I ended up working for the Southern Courier after school every day when I was in the ninth grade up through high school and, and back through college. And then a major in journalism. But let me tell you. So Alabama Archives in February was doing this. Somebody sent me an email said, uh, the courier said doing thing on the Southern Courier. Our photographer had donated all 10,000 photographs to them, the Alabama Archives. He took photos of Monmouth King that nobody else had. And we and he would go with me when I was doing stories. Since Alabama rejected me, so did Alabama State University. They would neither one school would let me in there. That's how I mm-hmm. ended up at the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to work for the newspaper full time. And at 17, I was named the bureau chief in Troy, Alabama, covering uh, 10 counties. Mm-hmm. They did this cool thing here in February, so I decided to go. 
place jam-packed with most of the white folks. The place was full. They had an overflow room. So I got seated. I just ended up taking a seat. The two white people up there talking as authorities on the courier were being asked questions. And one of the questions they could not ask. And so the Spirit of Valor answered this question for the audience. And when I stood up, they were asking, did the photographer ever get um, um, attacked because of his going around Alabama, because he was a white guy from Penn State. And so nobody could answer it. So I stood up and I said, yes. And when I called my name or who I was, both of the lecturers came down from the podium and hugged my neck. Mm. We've heard so much about you. And I said, yes, I've moved back to Montgomery now. And it's funny, they're lecturing on stuff that I lived, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm the only black, the first black reporter that the newspaper ever had. Well, I'm going to say, make a suggestion to you, and you'll find this fascinating. You need to get a documentary done, and it's not hard to do. And um, I'll be very honest with you. Um you should reach out to the NABJ leadership for your region. If you don't know it, I'll find it and send it to you. And you should hook up with the NABJ. Not so much as jobs, but it might be. But um, you need to be networked. Yes, and, and other such things. By the way, I need to tell you, did you know Dwayne Wickham is being sued for millions of dollars? Uh-uh. Uh, stealing and, and being frisky with the women at, at Morgan State University? No, no. Okay, and last but not least, I don't know if um, it, it's going to be very interesting. Um, but Well, it happened to the PR person at Alabama State, the one that was a nemesis, the nemesis for the first black female they had who was a friend of mine, Gwen Boyd. And, and 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 three women sued him, and Alabama State had to dish out a million dollars. Mm. He's a state sen- He's still running for a state senator and representative. He's vice president of Alabama State. When I started teaching there, he was. I was in PR with him when I was teaching journalism there. Mm. And so he still he still and he's now running for the Senate seat that was vacated by um, by the now president that replaced Gwen at Alabama State. I'm going to tell you that two things that you're going to find very fascinating, and then I'm going to stop. I know some people in Chicago you need to know, and the people in Baltimore you need to know, because if you could do some writing about what's going on, if we feed you the information, it would be helpful. In addition, if you could put some stuff together on hookworms, and if you can put a small bio on yourself, I have a friend who works with the alternative news wires. Mm-hmm. You'll start getting called and quoted from people all over the country. Mm-hmm. So can get some interest. You know, you're all, she's always in the background helping other people, Ron. Mm-hmm. I, I know what that's like, too. I don't fight to be the person that people know or see. It happens... I started speaking up because I got tired of people being silent about things. Right. Not because I, you know, I had worked behind. I think Sister Bradford knows that I was the one that got uh, 
the thing on Darfur moving. I mm-hmm. went with yeah. Pastor yeah. Fontroy and brought the Darfuris yeah. in. I, you didn't see me out in it. I was doing the stuff mm-hmm. I had to do, and other people who can speak better than me do it. I, I, it, don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be me. If, if, it's, if we're moving forward with me being silent or me being somewhere else, great. If you want me to make some noise, I'll do it. She's the same way. Yeah. The people who are comfortable in their own skin that are black, a lot of black folks don't know how to deal with folks who are not egotistical narcissists. They can't figure out, well, why aren't you trying to be number one? Mm-hmm. And to tell folks God is number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't have, I can't compete with that. I'm comfortable with God being God. Just don't roast me and love me and show me grace and mercy. And I'm cool. So anyway, I got to do this show. We've been playing phone tag as in Baltimore, but, but, but Bradford, you got to do his show. Okay. And I tell you heard. I'll make certain he gets it. If he loses it, he knows okay. he can call me. I don't hide people. I don't hide people from, from each other. That's not my game. Okay, well, Miss Bradley, I can get your number right now. Yeah, take it. Okay, it's 202. 202. 202. 202. 202. 202. 202. 202. Okay. And what's your first name? Viola, just like the instrument, Viola. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's an honor, man. I, I really got a lot of respect for your, uh, for your uncle, I guess, uh, E.D. Nixon. I, I heard a lot about I mean, he was very pivotal. I always tell people we need to study the Montgomery bus oh, boycott. Yeah. This is one of our greatest victories. Yeah. Yeah, they made the school a school and the street now and it's named after him in Montgomery. Rightfully so, man. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I I went to the Lynching Memorial recently too. I went to down there to the uh Legacy Slavery Museum. There. I was there. You was there. It was powerful, man. What you said what, what are your thoughts about yeah. that? It was amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm planning a a a, a tour hopefully next July for people in D.C. to come in. Okay, they need to see it, yeah. Uh-huh, and I'm hoping to get a meeting with Brian Stevenson uh, hopefully and, soon. And I want to pass... I'm going to give you a phone number for a gentleman I know who works with people who do cultural tours for black folks because, Sister Viola, you can get paid much money having people come and see you as a tour guide to tell folks about the movement in Alabama. Yeah, I did one in 2000, 2011 just because I felt like doing it. No, I'm but I'm talking about getting paid for it, okay? You've been doing yeah, all this free stuff. I mean, there's no, there's no, 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 no. We, we're mm-hmm. talking about setting it up where the, the money, the biggest problem in our community is the resources are going to Michael Jordan, and, and Oprah and Kanye, and it needs to go to people on the grassroots level doing things like right. you. Okay, I so. Took people, I took people from Selma, and Hank Sanders was my contact person and met with them. We went from Selma, Hank, and then I went to Tuskegee, and the guy there was Barbara, Barbara Williams for Howard, who became the NAACP state president. She used to do the movement with me, civil rights movement with me. Mm-hmm. In Montgomery, with my contact person was Bernard Lee's daughter. You know, Bernard was the one on the back of me with Dr. King when he was killed, and Dr. King took on his wing when they kicked him out of Alabama State. Mm-hmm. 
What well, you know? What you do? You know Kalia Clark? No, I don't. Okay, she's Bernard. I lost it. They were ended up in Birmingham, but I was saying we had. I took them through four, four cities on a on a tour, and it took for the whole week, and we had a ball. These people had never been to Alabama before, and I wow. did it because I wanted them to be exposed to what was going on here, and mm-hmm. I just did it because I do it. I mean, I didn't get paid. It was just something I wanted to do. And then I get to the Rosa Parks Museum, and the guy couldn't tell nobody on the wall. It was just a job for her, right? And there were right. people on the wall, and my people were asking questions. She can answer who they were or what they did, and I would end up answering the questions. And so one of the people on the tour said, well, Brad, well, why don't you just do the tour? So yeah. I asked the lady, was it okay for me to speak on who was on the wall and why they were there? And the young lady let me take over in that room. Wow. But I had to. She didn't know what was going on or what had mm. happened. Wow. So I understand that. My God. Do you know Kalia Clark? You're saying you didn't, but she was Bernard's wife when they were in Selma. Bernard, um, Lafayette. <laughs> Oh, you're talking about Lafayette. That's different. I'm talking about Bernard. I'm talking about Bernard's elite. Okay. Yeah, no. Him. So you I don't know Bernard Lafayette? I know Bernard Lafayette in Tuskegee, yeah. But I didn't know his wife. I knew him. I knew him. I know him. But I don't know his wife. Mm. Well, I want to introduce you to his wife, his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple of things to do for you because, um, and it's selfish. I'm going to just tell you, I've always wanted to have some property or some place to go in Alabama. And I figured I know you. <laughs> I have a place uh-huh. to hang. There you go. So I want you to succeed so I can come down to Alabama because I love Alabama. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah well, my, great. My, the house that the house that I bought here, I have four bedrooms. Okay, One well, of them is going to be my study for me to do my work, my study, my office. Other than mm-hmm. that, there are other three bedrooms here. Now, I want to share something with you. The idea just came to me. Mm-hmm. You need to reach out to Alabama Public Television tomorrow. I worked with them. I worked with them. I produced yeah. and, and directed a TV show for five years for Alabama Public TV, and I did it through Auburn University after I left Alabama State. Mm-hmm. It's called Harambe. Right. That's how I know my Aunt Lou. My Aunt Lou did my show. That's how I know her. We spent two weeks together. She was filming something in Opelika. Mm-hmm. I had Dick Gregory, mm-hmm. Lowry. I've had Rosa Parks. And guess what? And I got the two in tape. They, they ought to be if they haven't destroyed themselves. They I packed all the, the shows I did. I did the Commodores when they were working on their album. Lionel Richie interview. He was writing Jesus Love. I got all, I did all of oh, wow. the TV show. I had it for five years. Wow. You do it online. I was not online. And my three and my three hosts. I was producer director. Uh, mm-hmm. Our university got a grant from public television to train women and have more blacks and women in public TV. 
And mm-hmm. so they, they trained me as a black and another white chick. And so we became producers, directors for public TV. And I had to do it from Auburn University's campus. The studio was there. My three persons I hired to do the interview for me on the on, on air talent were Norman Lumpkin, the first black reporter for NBC here on Channel 12, mm-hmm. who, and I have a picture of him and Dr. King way back in the 60s, mid-60s, so he was covering Dr. King. I still got that photo. And we were at a church down in someplace in Alabama. And the other person was Tracy Larkin, who was a radio disc jockey, who was a good friend of Lionel and Tom Joyner. That's how I met them through Tracy. Tracy is now the first black pro temp of the Montgomery City Council here in Montgomery. And then the third person who I had on air was my good friend, Gwen Patton. I don't know if you knew her. She was on the. She was a writer for the Black Scholar magazine. Remember the Black Scholar magazine? Years ago, it could have been before your time. She was a brilliant woman. Used to go to Cuba, Africa, everywhere. So I hired her. She's a very intellectual woman, and uh, and she died last year. And the mm-hmm. end of the fact, this past two months ago, all her African stuff from her home was given to me. In fact, it's in my new house right now. Wow. The statues and artwork. Uh-huh. So those were the three people I hired to do my own tell of the show I produced. But I worked out on public TV for five years before wow. I moved to D.C. That was my media job before moving to D.C. to work for the Democratic Party. Mm. Impressive. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I'll give you my resume if you want. Uh, give me your email. Yes, ma'am. It's um. It's we all be w e a l l b e at gmail dot com. W e a l l and b e at gmail dot com. Gmail dot com. W as in water. Edwards Apple yep. Lee Lee. B as in baby, E as in egg, at gmail.com. I'll yes, see ma'am. my resume. Oh, that's awesome, man. I mean, wow. Good talking with you. It's an honor to talk to you. I mean, it really is. I guess this is running your family, this type of excellence. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I got that fire from EB. And so, I see. You know, oh. before, I left, before I left, I was in, what was I? Back in the late, early, the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And it was in 481 before I moved to Washington. I decided to go by E.D.'s house, and we sat for hours, and I taped him. He was 88 years old then. Wow. And I spent a whole evening with him and, and recorded our conversation. That's excellent. You still have it? Yeah. That's excellent. They should be in one of these boxes. I've moved at least five of the boxes down here to my house, and I haven't opened none of them. Oh, it's in one of these boxes here. Yeah, it should be one of my boxes. I'm gonna first thing I'm gonna try to look for. But I, I had an old fashioned tape recorder, and we talked for hours until the sun went down. I believe you had no sense to record him though. Huh? I said we yeah. had enough sense. A lot of us we don't do that as black people. You know, we're great storytellers, and we let the stuff die with them. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I was here. I was just. I said, you know what? I called him, and I said, you know, I want to come and just talk to you and record you. He told me to come on over to the house. 
This house was a block over from our house where I was raised. Mm-hmm. We were on Central. And this house was bombed. And and I remember, I said, well, let me go over here and talk with him. So I ended up with talking to him, and he let me record our conversation. And we just sat and talked. Yeah, thank you. So, well, I am looking forward. Isn't that going to be a great interview when you talk oh, to us? Oh, phenomenal, man. It's, it's living history, man. It's primary source. Yeah, it's not talked about enough. It's not talked about from a child's perspective. Yeah, not a child perspective. I've never heard of one. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, I need to ask you this, Brad, and I'm going to leave them on. Did you know Dorothy Love Coates? Hmm. I knew of her. She was way before my time, but I knew of her. She was singing in Birmingham. And one mm-hmm. of my best friends, Dr. Clifford Bibb, who just died last year, he was professor of humanities at Alabama State, one of my best friends. Uh, I came here, I did his memorial service, by the way, which was in January when I moved here. Um, he sang, he knew her and sang with her in Birmingham, because he was up at Miles College for a while. Mm. Did, now, Dorothy was a friend of mine and loved Dorothy. God knows, she was awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just I, I, I only I didn't get to meet her in person, but we talked over the phone, like I'm talking to you now, for years. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, and just her story, man, has they did something with Alabama Public Television once, but uh, I'll just say this to you enough stuff. You know, the Supremes had two number one records that were carved out of Dorothy Love Coates' music. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, and, I mean, basically, uh, uh, Come See About Me, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's ripped off a point of it. It's sampled off of You Can't Hurry God and You Can't Hurry Love. Wow. You Can't Hurry Love is a ripoff of You Can't uh, Hurry God. You know, it says You yeah. Can't Hurry God. <laughs> you just have to yes. them and give them time. Okay. Yeah. I need love, love to ease my mind. I need to find time. To <laughs> wait a second. Wow. Can't hurry, love. No, you just have to wait. Love don't come easy. It's a game of give and take. Mm. It's the difference yeah. between you can't hurry, God. No, you have to wait. You have to trust him and, and give him time no matter how long it takes. I know the lyrics to both songs. Yes, it's it's the same yeah. song. Well, the doctor there, I was mentioning to you that knows Coach. He was a gospel singer too. He had a PhD in English from um, Northwestern. Wow. He was singing. He was a gospel singer. Wow. He knew Dorothy Little Coates. Yeah, and we used to direct the choir together at a church here. Uh, Hmm. We directed the choir together for for seven years. Oh my God, a long time, more than seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know that um, (laughs) this, anyway, Alabama is so important. In fact, um, it really is. It's, that's one. And I don't know. I was, to ask God, I'm trying to ask God why am I in, and I mean the Trump here is prevalent. The Trump, the governor, the state people, these people around here, they love Donald Trump. Yeah, they do love Trump. They're running the election that's coming up that's going to be June 5th. You should see the ad. You should see the ad. Same line. Uh, same talk, same talkism, all, and it's just 
it's mind-blowing. Well, the point is, what's really not mind-blowing, I want to say this so you can feel this. White people are dying, my friend, and they're trying to take it with them. And we have to have the sense to understand that dying people are desperate people. Okay? Yes, they are. And and Donald Trump is actually, he's done things to them that they're never going to recover from. And we need to be doing, taking care of ourselves, be prepared for what happens next. The reason I'm saying that to you is opioids are killing so many folks. Let me explain you what I mean. Do you know when you hear the figure on opioids, it's usually up to a year off? Mm. See, they, they, let me explain to you why. They start counting opioid deaths in July at the beginning of the fiscal year, and it runs into June of the following year, which means the opioid death information that we got in 2017, about 2017, was from 2016. Mm-hmm which means we're not going to know how many people died from, from, exactly. from opioids until in 2017 until July of this year. Uh-huh. And what you need uh-huh. to know is that the counts are incomplete because all states don't report, which means we have no idea how many people are dying. They just, they don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, that, in fact, they were projecting, when I was in Tennessee in 2015, they said that the opioid deaths were going to peak in 2016 at about 50,000, mm-hmm. and then the number would begin to go down. Mm-hmm. Do you know that that is not what happened? The number was not 50,000. The incomplete number was 66,000. And in certain places like West Virginia, the stuff goes up 40, 50%, the deaths every year. Yeah, and they're going up. Yep. And in D.C., it's 109% increase. It's wow. just going up. So, and it's, in reality, when, it, when, when the truth that Trump basically, if he doesn't deliver, and there's no guarantee that he will, when people find out that they've been conned, are you hearing me? Mm-hmm. Yes. When they find out that they've been conned and there's going to be no infrastructure or anything else. Say mm-hmm. six years from now, the rate of suicide and other things are going to go through the ceiling for these folks. Are you understanding that? Because most people don't know, but the lifespan of white men has been going down roughly. Oh, yeah. One a year, every year for the last eight years. If this keeps going under Trump, by time if Trump gets two terms, a lot of white men are going to be living no more than maybe sixty years will be the average. And by the way, it well, you makes, know, Francis Wesley Welting and Crespin has been saying that for years. Yeah, but I'm saying this is happening. Well, she said it, but it's happening, and see. And at least 17 states, in fact, are not being honest. But in 17 states, they're saying that the white population isn't increasing. Now, what she has, it's decreasing. The deaths outnumber births, all right? Now, what you need to understand is that they're counting the Hispanics in the white population. 
then it may be even more than 17 states where more of them are dying than being born. Now, all you need, if they try to start a war in Iran or North Korea or anything, that's going to absolutely push these people over the edge. So in a nutshell, the change is going to be so drastic. That's why they're doing so much to us. It's because it's sort of like, have you ever seen family where a person's about to die and they don't want to leave their stuff to one of their children, so they start spending money and doing crazy stuff because they don't want to leave it behind? These folks can't see that they're going to have to give up some of this stuff they took. So instead of doing that, they're bearing down harder and harder on everybody everywhere. And all it's going to do is bring about a crazier reaction. So I don't worry. Let the folk in Alabama trip. But what I'll tell you what needs to happen in Alabama, and I'll stop here so I can do my interview with her. Sister Bradford, do you really think that black folks are just 25% of the population of Alabama? Oh, no, I think it's more. You think it's more. But, you know, I'll give you an example to show you how insane and why something that would be really nice for you guys to do is to get a real census number. I need to introduce you to my friend, uh, Brother Larry, in, in Minnesota. You really need to get the U.N. or someone to do a real count. Because if black folks' numbers were really counted, if they were really counted, hmm? There's a guy at my church I left at New Bethel. His name, he's a, he came out of Harvard, but he does city planning. And he told me after the election of Trump, and he knew I was moving back here, he said, Bradford, we got to get together because I want to do the count of black folks in Alabama, because I think it's more than the people say they are. Well, let me share with you you how that has to be so. Doug Jones, someone that you might be in touch with, they claim at least 600,000 plus black people voted in Alabama for Doug Jones, right? Mm -hmm. That was was 30% voter turnout. Right. Percent. Well, what is 70? Mm-hmm. What is 70? Then what's the number of the other 70%? Because um, <laughs> another 30% would be another 600,000 people or 700,000 people. That's 1.4 million, and that's just what 60%. Another 30% would be 2 million. <laughs> 2 million. Uh, no, no, wait a minute. 600, no, seven, seven, seven is 14, plus one would be 2.1 million. And then you'd have 10% left. So that would be, hmm, that you have to divide, what, 600,000? Yeah, I'm going I'm to figure that out. It, 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 it'll be like 2.4 2. million blacks of voting age in the state of Alabama. That doesn't count children. How many babies are down there? Uh, normally the children, about a third, children under 18, about a third of the population in ordinary demographics. So 24 divided by three is eight. 800,000 plus 2,400,000 is 3.2 million. 
They're just a little over five to six million people in the state of Alabama. That would make black but folks. Just in Montgomery alone, I'm just disappointed. Like, why they can't even get a black mayor when they outnumber white people here, even the voting population? Well, what what I'm trying to say to you is that black folks are the majority in Alabama, and they're the majority in Georgia. They're the majority in South Carolina, and they're the, probably the majority in Louisiana. And we never we we just go along with whatever white folks say. <laughs> you know, I made a comment at our meeting. Uh, if bowel movement were white, black folks would eat it. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I feel. And um, so I'm thinking black folks are half or more. And yeah. uh, this is this is <laughs> this is why. They're acting so crazy. What if we found out because there's a sense that there's going to be payback for what's been going on? All white folks who say that this stuff is going on, they know what's going on. They're afraid that if you know what they know about what they've done, you're going to want to deal with them the way that they've dealt with us. And so instead of stopping and getting along and doing what Dr. King said, they're going to double down and be even nastier, sort of, you know, be even more dirty than what they ordinarily would be because they figure they have nothing to lose. And if it were the role were reversed, they figure if blacks have done this to us, we just want to kill everybody. So they can't stop doing what they're doing. They're addicted to being oppressive jackasses. So, yeah. but black people have never challenged white people on their numbers. And I'll tell you something, in Alabama and throughout the country, they removed anywhere from 4 million to 6 million black people from the black population and put them in the other or mixed. Mm. Are you understanding me? In Alabama, how many of those people that are other are blacks who have a white mom or a white dad. You, you get where mm-hmm. I'm from? So, so um, when, you at, when you look at the Doug Jones election, there's only one black congresswoman, Sewell, went to Harvard the same time I was here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Check this out. There's only one black congressperson. I think Alabama's got about seven or eight congresspeople, and only one is black. And yet, they gerrymandered that such that black folks only get one congressperson. But, and if you watch the election, they said, well, Doug Jones only won one congressional district. Well, you mean blacks in one congressional district? outvoted the white people in seven congressional districts at one time? How many of them are there? Right? If the congressional districts are always determined, hey, hi, bully. Hi, bully. You hungry, bully? Okay, this cat wants Everybody wants something. Okay, do you realize that if blacks in one congressional district outvoted whites in seven congressional districts, 
then the black population must be considerably higher than what they're seeing. How how else does that make sense that one congressional district, if they apportion congressional districts on population, how did they beat all those white people if they're so badly outnumbered? Something's not really making any sense. Are you understanding where I'm coming from? And therein... In DC, this guy. His name is Joe Carroll. Do you know Joe? No. Introduce me. Share the contacts. I promise not to get into trouble with them. He said, Graphic, when he found out, he said, Look, we need to. He said, I want to look at Alabama. He says, Got to be more black people than there's before. And we talked about that after Doug's election. Well, if Doug Jones were a friend of black folks, He'd be willing to do that that work. He's a fraud if he won't. Well, yeah, I know he's up for re-election, but like I was saying, if he's really for black people, which I have my doubts, but if he were for it, that's something that y'all should demand. Yeah, that's something that his his chief of staff is the only black uh, chief of staff for for a Democratic senator. His name is Dana Gresham from Birmingham. Right. Yeah, well, I'm going to say this of Doug Jones. And I have to say this. Did you notice his wife had that big Adam's apple? That who? Doug Jones' wife has Adam's apple. Now, when you get close to oh, me, I don't know. Just well, look. I, I mean, know. I met her. I met her at the Equal Justice Initiative opening up this museum. Did you see her Adam's apple? No, I didn't notice it. Just look at her next next time. Pay attention, because there's some pictures of her online. Looks like she's got. <laughs> looks like she's got a golf ball in her neck. Oh my God! I'm paying attention to that. Oh, I do. There's so many people. If you're a man, you better look at these people's necks. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna let you go. Um, please, let's be in touch. Uh, stay on okay. me. I have some people to introduce you to. I don't know. I okay. we would just send you a check, but there's tourism and some other people you should have and. See what you can do with it. But that story, that story is so hot. It's hot. It's boring. Yes. And most of them can be documented. You know, the Southern Courier um, made 3,000 copies of the whole three years of that magazine that documented all our civil rights stories, including mine. Mm-hmm. Three copies were made. One was given to the King Center. Mm-hmm. One was given to um, the Tuskegee Archives, because that's where all our papers went. And one was given to me. And this girl who I told you, who I hired as an own talent uh, person, uh, Gwen, asked a girl in New York, told, introduced me to her. She borrowed my bound volume because she's doing a documentary with some 
someplace up there in New York for one of those stations. Never got it back. Never got my copy back. And I don't know who she is or how to find it. Wait a minute. What, 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 you didn't know her name? No, because I was introduced to her to, to Gwen Patton, Dr. Gwen Patton, who I told you was on the, the uh, advisory board of the Black Scholar, editorial board. Is she dead? She died last, um, died last, last year. I came oh. down the scene for her funeral. I feel so sorry. I'll just tell you. Uh, my whole bound Bible that documents all that civil rights coverage that we did for those two years. And the other two bound volumes, like I said, are at the King Center in Atlanta and the third bound volume with the Tuskegee. Danny Williams was the archivist there. And I would go over there sometimes. He's dead now. And he would tell me that every month the FBI would come to the library to try to get our files. Every month. Somebody from the FBI would come and try to take our files. The bound volume and all our records from the newspaper that we did. And he's dead now. So he's got a bound volume, and, and Kennedy's kind of got the, I mean, the King's kind of got the other bound volume. And they deliberately put the third one together for me and embossed my, engraved my name in it in gold. And that girl loaned it to somebody in New York. I never got it back. Well, you know, actually, my suggestion is this. If you tell your story, if you tell your story, and if you know which station she went to, hmm? you know what? I know none of it. I think she was in New York. That's okay. I, I bet you was a Jewish woman, too. I bet you this dumb sister. Hmm? Yeah. You know, I don't have anything that valuable, but I had a rare video of the Armenian genocide, and I loaned it to a, a Armenian female who never gave it back. She turned out to be the one that made the red skinettes uh, do the videos with their breasts exposed. I hadn't seen that girl's name in years. Stole my stuff and made people show their breasts for her to get paid. It, it, the world is crazy. Anyway, that's real talk. Let me let you go. Okay. All right. You take care. I've enjoyed it. All right. Okay. I'll go for two as well. Thank you. So, her, that's crazy. That, that's you real know, talk. Fascinating. You're a great collector of people, man. You know, some fascinating people. Yeah, well, no, I don't like, I only like smart people. I'm racist against stupid people. So, I mean, I mean the duck, so if you're going to meet someone that I'm around, they're going to be about to, I, I need people that think, or that are, that are trying to do something, be something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me see. We can start any minute now. But that, she hadn't even, see, people treat me different, Hurt. Mm-hmm. I've known her all these years. We love each other. And I know that's all the story and stuff she don't share. And so you just got to come up. But it says you have to tell these stories. Uh, but she's so busy helping other people. That a lot of black folks are really concerned about where we are. They're doing everything. 
And this is why I said, you know, some of these schools got to die because they're a drag on us. They're really great people who've given everything. They would be great in any other community, but because we have so many traitors, it, it discounts the, the greatness that we have as a people. Hmm? For example, you're doing great work. The stupid gangster rappers putting this filth out almost discounts the quality stuff that uh, Tariq Nasheed and other people are doing some very interesting things. It's overwhelmed by the garbage of a few. Mm-hmm. And we're very reluctant, you know, to be hard on these people because, you know, we, we want to be, you know, we want to embrace people because we understand what being rejected is like. But, you know, at a certain point, black folk are going to have to get tired of coons. No. You know, we're going to have to get mad at coons. So, you know, everyone don't like you. <laughs> and we, we are very reluctant as a people to let coons have it. We, we find ourselves trying to re- respect coons or stay, you know, tight with coons. And we, 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 anyway, mm-hmm. so I'm here in the refrigerator. All right. Now, this is, I'm ready to go whenever you are. Okay. But wasn't that good? See, this was more fun to do on the radio. I mean, I guess mean, like you know a lot of interesting people. You're an interesting person yourself, but to be able to attract like, you know, like attracts like, so, I mean, you run an interesting company. Yeah. And, and, and so, and yeah, get ready, my brother. So let me know when you're ready. I hope you have some questions. Uh, definitely. I'm ready right now, Dr. Short. You can go right oh. now. Right, right, right. Brother Hurt. So, well, go for it. I'm I'm ready. Well, we all be is once again honored to help on the one and only Dr. Randy Short, a man who, in the words Luke Elton, is truly beyond category. A uh, fantastical human being, uh, people's champ advocate, uh, researcher beyond comparison, beyond category, and a uh, public intellectual extraordinaire. How are you doing today, sir? Now, I am blessed, and again, thank you for the phenomenal work that you're doing, all the great people that you interview and put the word out. And I can't thank you enough for when I had my first documentary out nobody was watching it until you talked about it. So I hope you, <laughs> you share <laughs> you about two more documentaries that I'm featured in. And uh, I'm actually hoping that people um, are, are following and supporting and PayPaling and Patreoning you because uh, we can do anything with resources. The scriptures say money answereth all things. So I hope you're, Money is answering the things that you need to advance your dream with uh, We All Be Radio. Thank you so much, Dr. Show. We really appreciate that, and we received that blessing. But there's so much stuff to talk about. I mean, it's, it's like we're overwhelmed with stuff, a lot of distractions. But it's a lot of truth out there as well, too. And you are one of the truth tellers of our generation. So I want to talk to you a little bit, I guess, on the pop culture side, but also on a real tip about what's going on with Kanye West. Your thoughts Ooh. about that? Ooh. Okay, we're going to get the painful stuff done first. All right, look. Uh, my best buddy, when I finished uh, Divinity School at Harvard in 91, I had a job with the Post. I worked for the Marriott uh, Corporation. 
And then I worked for the, well, when I was working for Marriott Corporation in 2000, I'm sorry, 1992, there was a gentleman that I would always hook up, you know, when I worked hospitality, customer service, I always try to do extra stuff for black people to make them feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And part because the people above me didn't like it. So it was my way to spite them, you know, give black folks free stuff, wine, white people do that for white people. Why can't I do it for exactly. black people? Okay. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys that I would do stuff for said, I want you to meet a friend of mine. So I says, okay. And he asked me to go over someplace the 600 block of Massachusetts Avenue, Northeast. And I was sitting out there and uh, met, while I was sitting out there, a guy dude about five, nine glasses, seemed like a studious type person, came in and we started talking and his name was Ray. And it turned out Ray was waiting for the same person and it was some network marketing Ponzi scheme BS that I was big. This guy's name was Will something. Uh, wanted us in and we, we went. I didn't do the little garbage that they did, but, but I did stay in touch with a guy, Ray. And we talked and we talked about politics and race and so forth. And, uh, you know, over time, you know, just in the 92, we just talked a lot and he said, you know, um, I'm not married. I'm not married right now. I'm just coming out of divorce. This is really okay. Well, cool. Well, well, just one divorce isn't so bad. Says, no, I've been divorced like two or three times. I think it's, it may have been three times or two times. At least two times I've been divorced. Says, well, divorce all right. At least you don't have any children. Says, oh yeah, I have a son. Says, really? I says, okay. Well, what's his name? He says, my son is uh, Kanye. And I was like, what's Kanye? What is, what is? <laughs> it's like, all right, fine, Kanye. I did, so he explained it's a kind of African name or whatever. I said, okay, I'll meet your son. Uh, in the summer, I think I met this man uh, early spring of, two, of 92. He asked me to come by his place. He was staying in Tacoma Park, Maryland, just outside of D.C., uh, it's a part of Tacoma Park is in D.C. and part of it is in Prince George's County. And Ray had gotten a a, a, a HUD foreclosed condo property. That's like basement level. And the reason he invited me over was he wanted me to meet Kanye. And when I came in, you know, Kanye was just up mixing music. Seemed like a nice kid. He and his dad were making smoothies because his father, I mean, Raymond, was at the American uh, Bible College, I think. It's in Atlanta, Maryland. He was working on a master's degree in Christian counseling. His father was a Republican. His father was very, very religious. I mean, he didn't like cussing or like drinking or like smoking. He's very much into health. And, uh, and he worked for a group, a corporation called Paychecks. And, I mean, Ray is this very serious person. On top of that, Ray was selling personal safety devices and home safety devices. He's a very entrepreneurial, bright, tight guy. Anyway, he introduced me to Kanye, and I never will forget how he introduced me to Kanye. 
And I don't think Kanye will forget how he introduced me to Kanye. He said, this is my friend, Randy. Randy has four degrees. I want you to be like him. <laughs> and I would have never, int- I don't, you know me, I don't talk to you like, you know, I degrees, I mean, they haven't been done much for me financially. So I run around screaming about them, except for when someone tries to refer to me as if I don't know what I'm talking about. And Kanye never forgot that because when he did his first album, High College Dropout, mm-hmm. there's a monologue of a father and son arguing on the record. Yeah. That is about the meeting that Kanye and I had with his dad. Mm. <laughs> I'm the person that Kanye is making reference to and mocking his father's voice with the four degrees. Mm. Okay. Now, I'm just saying this. By the way, that same day, Ray wanted me to meet his ex-wife, Donda. And when I spoke, she was checking to see how Kanye was doing. And I'll just break this down. There's like this edible conflict or this fight between where the mother didn't want Kanye to be as close to his father. Like I said, the father's this very conservative type brother. He may have been a little wild when he was a Black Panther where he met the mother at Atlanta University. I think he went to Clark. They went to Clark together and he's in the Panthers and all this. Um, But once she divorced him because um, Atlanta proved to be bootylicious (laughs) to Kanye's dad, it's just... Kanye's father's a really nice, a beautiful person. When he was younger, before he like got converted, became a Christian, he spent a lot of his life in in uh, Germany, and then in predominantly white environments because his father's in the military. When he got down to Atlanta, his father had never seen so many fine black women down in Atlanta University. Mm-hmm. And although he married her, but I don't know. I, I don't know the order of whether Kanye came. I don't know exactly how quickly between the time they met or marriage, whatever. But uh, in a nutshell, Ray had wandering eyes and probably wandering members. And I think this contributed to Donda divorcing her husband, Ray. Ray had a major change in his life because he never wanted to be separated from his son or his wife. And she, Donda never forgave Ray. She's unforgiving. So Ray tried to reconcile and save or get married again or whatever. And she never let him come back. And he married and had a couple of very difficult marriages. And, uh, one thing he was proud of was he loved Kanye. I mean, when you hear him talk about Kanye, I mean, he's just, mm, he's so happy because that's the only child he has that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. What happened around the time I met Kanye, I showed up with the actor, Kanye got deeper and deeper into music, and Ray wanted Kanye to go to school and, and have a really good education like his mother and his father had. And Kanye was really into rap, hip-hop, producing music. At a certain point, 
Ray, who trusts me and I love Ray, is a good guy, began to tell me he had real fears about Kanye going into the music business. Like almost like nightmarish fears. And initially I heard him out, but at a certain point, because Kanye was beginning to do all kinds of stuff, be with P. Diddy, this, uh, his father and I had like arguments for maybe three years about Kanye. I was pro Kanye going into the music business. And Ray was saying, you don't know Kanye. I'm his dad. Kanye's going to just go off the deep end hmm. if he gets in that business. And I, I was saying to his father, look, Ray, in a sense, the errors when you were with his mom put put you in a position where the mothers taught him to disobey you or to be rebellious against you. And if you try to counter his desire to make it in the music business, it'll only push him further from you. You have to embrace his interest in music as a means to have a place of reaching your son where she can't pit you against your boy. And if you believe in God and you have faith that we can pray and support and get close to Kanye, maybe we can prevent him from going off the deep end like you fear. But if that's in his mind and his heart, he's going to do it. And we had this argument for years. I mean, it got really heated. And Ray, you can't stop people's dreams based on your fears. And says, well, you don't know Kanye. says, I don't. But I do know when people are determined to do something, the last person they want to hear tell them no is a divorced parent. He's going to do this. I said, oh, you've got to put structure to keep him from going off the deep end. He's already said in his mind he's going to do it. Look in his eyes. You're his daddy, right? Anyway, in the summer of 1999, or spring of 1999, they had an auto show at the old D.C. Convention Center, which has long since been knocked down. I got a call from Ray, and Ray asked me to hang out with him and Kanye. Uh, and so we rode over in their convertible to the uh, convention center, looked at all the cars. Since I can't drive, and auto showing that interesting to me. And then all of a sudden, we got down to what the issue was. Ray driving, sitting in the back of the car with Kanye driving, proceeded. Or, no, I think I was in the back. I was well, maybe I'm somewhere. Anyway, what happens? Ray tells me. Kanye wants to go into the business, and I'm telling him he can't go. And I want you to tell him not to go into the business. And I says, Ray, I, I already told you I, I'm not against a person doing what they feel is best, provided it's not negative. And Ray was just, like, putting it down about how his feelings were. 
And so I'm in the middle of, of Kanye, who I don't know as well, and his father who come to my house, we go to movies, go to church together, we, we go and work in the homeless shelter. I mean, that's a, he's a really good man, uh, Ray. And Kanye, I think to, to check stuff, he says, I just want you to hear something. And he put a tape in the, uh, remember the audio tapes? He had an audio tape. And it was, uh, I think it's called Lovely Senorita. I'll never forget hearing it. He was rapping and he had these Spanish guitars and stuff mixed in. And it was beautiful. And I told him, stop. Stop the music. And Kanye got upset. And I said, no, 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 I didn't tell you to stop because I didn't like it. I said, Kanye, you're going to have more Grammys than Stevie Wonder. You're going to be in the top three. Your first album's going to make in the top three albums, the top five. And you're going to be the best rapper, best known in the world, very shortly. Okay? Everything's going to be platinum for you. I says, believe that. Take my word. I don't compliment people. I think you know that about me, Heard. I don't like you. And I hate. <laughs> and I told Kanye, you're going to be one of the greats. And your father's going to have to cope with that. I said, so Kanye, we have a problem. You've got your dreams, and your father has his paternal religious reservations. And these are in conflict. And I've been put in a very odd place because I really don't like hip-hop in general. But I just love what I heard you play. I haven't heard anything this good since the old school stuff. And I know you're just aching to disobey and rebel against him practically anything he says. And at the same time, I don't want him to stifle or stymie you. So says, well, look, Kanye, let's make a deal. Um, first and foremost, your father's main reservation isn't with you being a musician, Kanye. Your father doesn't want you to become an embarrassment to black people and to disgrace your father and your mother and your people making and doing a lot of ignorant things that are unbecoming of how you were brought up. Okay? Um, you, you, you... <laughs> I told him, you know, I went to UVA with people who lived in half million, million dollar homes who were running around acting like gangsters. And yet somebody like me from working class DC that lives in one of those thin townhouses where you can hear the people having sex next door, they would look down on where I live in, in Edgewood or Eckington in DC. Huh? But yet on the campus, they're coming across like they're thugs like their parents didn't go to uh, Stanford or to uh, Syracuse. And Ray doesn't like this, and I hate it too. But Kanye, you still want to do this music thing. So, so, so here's what I'm going to do, Kanye. Okay? If you promise me that you're not going to be calling folks hoes and bitches and pretending like you grew up in the projects when you're a little preppy from suburban Chicago and you're not running around tripping on booties, toasting drugs. I'm, I, I, I am willing to go against your father 
for you. But I need your promise that you're not going to make black folks or yourself or your mother, your father look stupid, that you're not going to get on drugs. You're not going to be a hoe. You're not going to be a promosexual. And that you're going to have some dignity. I mean, nothing wrong with music, but nobody needs me more of this perverse filth out here. Am I making myself understood that I'm not against you? I'm not an old humbug brother trying to, like, stymie your game. His father was mad. I says, I'll fight him. I know how to deal with him. But I need you to really say something to the people. And uh, Kanye was listening. And I says, Kanye, look, hip-hop is bankrupt. It's not saying anything like it used to. It's been hijacked. But what you could do while, before you break out is take some time to think about doing some concept albums so when you first come out, you got something saying where everybody's listening. Are you familiar with concept albums? I began to talk to him about concept albums. There's a concept album, Love is the Thing, right? Nat King Cole. Uh, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, Stevie Wonders, Intervisions, Music of My Mind, Music Aquarium, Songs of the Key of Life. I mentioned the Beatles. Uh, I, you know, I mentioned Pest, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, talking about actually really saying something. Even the Jackson 5 did a kind of concept dancing with that thing, Dancing Machine, that to, to have a unified message that people can enjoy. And, and I said, Kanye, I get the music business, okay? They're going to want you to sing about pussy and dick, dick and pussy, dick lost pussy, pussy lost dick, lost dick, dick loves pussy, pussy hates dick, dick loves pussy, dick and pussy back together. I understand that they're going to want, of your 12 songs, they're going to want mostly that. But try to make, at least two songs on your album <laughs> mean something beyond the garbage that you have to do to please the crooked people in the music business, and you'll come out all right. And he says, well, what kind of concept can I do now? Well, I worked for Amnesty International as country specialist for the Sudan back then. And I said, you know, Kanye, have you ever heard of conflict diamonds where they're cutting off all these people's hands for us to get diamonds to put on our rings and the wrappers on their chains and so forth? Nobody's done any music about conflict diamonds. Maybe you could do that. Are you with me, brother? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was the last time I spoke to Kanye. Hmm. But I do know that song, Diamonds Are Forever came out. I didn't talk to Ray for a while after that. And the next time I remember talking to Ray was in 2000. Well, actually what happened, I went to Germany for Amnesty International in 2004. I think April 2004. When I was looking at the news in Berlin, I saw that Kanye's album was in the top four in the Billboard charts. 
I literally woke up to the TV. I fell asleep, and it's talking about Kanye. As soon as I got home, I looked for the cards because Kanye didn't have cards. He wrote his number on the back of a card, and I called that number, and Kanye had changed his number. I hadn't called Kanye. Man, I don't chase after people or whatever. Just and so I haven't been able to talk to him, but I did talk to his father, and then two thousand. Five, Kanye's father and I, because his father, like what he's doing right now, if he's unhappy or he just disappears, you don't hear from him. You can't find him. I can write him and by email. I don't hear anything. When That's how his father responds to stuff. So I, I haven't heard from Ray. I thought there was someone in the Dominican Republic I thought was his father. I was writing him, but that wasn't him. But his father and I talked in 2000 five or six, and his father told me, Randy, you're the only person I know that he listens to. And I said, well, Ray, you got to let me talk to him again. We've got to talk. It's very important. It, it didn't happen. And, you know, I get it. I mean, things happen. But just before I moved to Tennessee, like a week or so, Actually, I went and did an interview at Lane College in July of 2007. And I went to get my hair cut. You know, all the barber shops on Georgia Avenue above uh, Howard University, mm-hmm. above the street. I was there, and I wanted to get my hair cut for my interview before flying out to uh, Jackson, actually to Nashville, and then taking, you know, a, sh- uh, uh, a-, a chauffeured ride from Nashville to to Jackson. Okay, you know what happened? I get to the barber shop, and when I get into the chair, the Ellen show comes on, and the special feature for Ellen DeGeneres was uh, was Donda West with Kanye talking about a book, uh, raising or bringing up Kanye, and. What happened on the show, I was all right with it. I was telling people in the barbershop that Kanye needs to be closer to his dad because his mom's kind of wild, okay? And what happened, as Kanye and his mother, before they went to a break, Kanye shouts out with the audience, I love looking at pornography with his mother sitting next to him on national television. And I says, this boy's mom's not going to live too long. And all the people in there started fussing at me. You don't know nothing about that boy. You don't know him. And you can't say how long anybody's mother's going to live. Okay? Well, I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and saying, man, Kanye, Ray has to get Kanye back from his mom because that's the last person he needs to be around if he's going to say with his mom next to him on television he's in the porn. That, that's, a, that's a problem. That's a, would you ever say that, sit next to your mom on national television that you enjoy watching porn all the time? <laughs> I don't think I would, but who knows? Uh, <laughs> thing. So... Well, you know, his mother died in either 2007 
for 2000. I think she died 2007 to 2008, between those years. Right. Okay. She was dead within a year of saying she's going to die. And people treat me like I'm crazy. She sure is dead. I'm sorry she's dead. Mm. Now, I just need to say to you, when I met Kanye and I talked to his mother, she, she cussed me out. She talked to me so poorly. I couldn't believe that you don't even know me. What are you talking? But this was to show disrespect for Kanye's father. So I was nobody that she even should say hello or I, all I did was say, hello, how are you doing? And she just cussed me out, went off and was just tripping on me. And I just remember saying, God, please don't let us ever have to talk again. I don't need this. And by the way, that was the first and last time I talked to Donda West. Mm-hmm. All right. Donda West dies. Everybody says Kanye sacrificed her. I don't believe that. And what I said to uh, Raymond West, Ray West, is that when I did finally catch him, I did two things. We talked about Donda and Kanye. And I wanted him to meet uh, Yvonne Chappelle, Dave Chappelle's mom, because I said, you guys both have famous, controversial children, sons. Y'all might be able to support and talk to one another. So I introduced Yvonne to Ray. I, I don't, they talked for a while, but I don't know what happened with that. You know, that's how I am. Uh, her, I, I want black folk to help come together somehow and help each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're always under stress. But what I said to Ray, I offered condolences on the passing of his first wife. But I says, Ray, why was she trying to get her breasts redone to impress those young boys around Kanye? That's a hell of a price to pay. Mm. You see, people out here are so quick to say something bad about Kanye and say that he killed his mama and all this other garbage without recognizing that just maybe what happened to her was her trying to be a cougar off of the entourage of his son or the people around. And things like that happen, okay? That's how I think. I don't think Kanye sacrificed his mom, but I do think Kanye being in the music business with all that wildness and other things brought about a situation wherein there was money and the time and the possibility for her to make a really awful decision that cost her his life, cost Kanye his mother, cost Raymond West his first real love, and it's brought a whole lot of negative ramifications spiritually on Kanye. All right? And something else, and I... I'm not making any judgments. People called the group that Kanye was with the Backpack Gang and made all sorts of references to maybe the young guys were kind of weak or effeminate or whatever. I don't know these people. I'm not saying anything one way or the other. I know folks will swear by it, but that isn't something 
that I'm prepared to do because I don't know anything about this gentleman. But I do know that Kanye's father is zero tolerance on gayness. Okay? He absolutely has no interest in having a gay son or gay anything. That's just him. Straight up, you have no business doing it, okay? So if there's any odd, strange stuff that you know goes on in that business, filth that goes on in that business, confusion that goes on in that music business that someone may have been introduced to, exposed to, or participated in, his father's the last person he's going to be able to just sit down and say, hey, Dad, I made a mistake. Or, or even if he didn't do it, I'm around these people doing this. His father's not going to be cool with that. So when you think about the fact that Kanye's the only child, he has no sisters or brothers, right? And he's not close or connected to the West family. I don't know how tight he is with the other people on his mom's side. Then Kanye ends up with this uh, sex magic broad with the artificial booty. It looks nice, but, you know, artificial fruit looks nice, but it, you can't eat it. <laughs> All right. So Kanye is surrounded by these, I think they're Armenian Jews, and 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 these folks aren't good for the man's soul. I'm not trying to bust up anything. If you got to be with the, well, at least she's a kind of attractive Becky, but uh, these people are nothing like the non non denominational fundamentalism of his dad. I mean, his dad's a righteous dude. I mean. Thanksgiving and Christmas going down to the gospel mission in Chinatown in D.C. feeding the hungry and, hungry and the homeless. I hope I don't sound like I'm tearing down Kanye or his dad. I hope I'm not putting, I'm not trying to tear down. When you care about people, I'm not trying to trash anyone. Definitely. I hope it doesn't sound like that to you. No, I think you're doing a balance, you know, your, your perspective. I don't think it's bashing anybody. And, and so... I haven't heard from Ray now in 10 years. I know that when Kanye went off, when uh, the white girl, uh, Taylor, Tyler Swift, whatever she is, and he had his hair cut and he was running with Amber and all this stuff, I'm pretty certain that his father, who feared and saw this stuff coming, he's got to really feel bad. And you know what's interesting? You never hear about his father, Ray's presence with these children that Kanye has. Hmm. And the, and I'm going to say something. You know, I know one thing I know Ray couldn't deal with. There's no way that Ray West is going to want to be around no Caitlyn Jenner. This is absolutely, I'm just telling you, that's World War 50. So... If you had only one son that you loved and his father-in-law has artificial boobs, calling himself woman of the year, his father has to feel a heavy 
sense of loss. And Kanye, who acknowledged that he was on opioids and all this other stuff, he's in real bad moral, ethical, spiritual shape. But when you look at people like Cosby, you look at people like Tiger Woods, you look at people like OJ, they surround themselves or get surrounded by opportunistic, decadent, hedonistic, connected white folks. Huh? Yes, sir. And black folk, I don't know any Kardashians. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, <laughs> it's almost impossible. I don't know of any way to get to anyone that I would know. I don't know how to get to anybody that could talk to say, hey, look, man, I don't want a record or I don't want any money. I just want to, in fact, I just want to talk to your father because I figure at least we're friends for real. I just know you're a son of a, of a close friend. So I believe he's in trouble. I believe that that's a vicious, demonic, satanic business. I believe that this guy is trying to break out of where he is, but like the prodigal son in the book, uh, you can find yourself in the hog pen before you find your way back home. And I hope he finds his way back home alive, you know? That's so that's what I want to say about Kanye. Kanye's father, I'm certain, loves this boy. And I saw something, Wendy Williams, her silly uh, uh, <laughs> Pisces of fish-looking self, made a statement about his father. Ray West tried. Ray West was a good father. Ray West has been supportive of his son. But, you know, when children get a certain age, they do what they want to do. He's a grown-ass Man, so let us hope that he can detox. Someone can get to him and pull him away from those folks. But I'll tell you something about Kanye. My buddies who I want you to talk to in Chicago, there were some people, Fred Hampton Jr. They know Kanye. Kanye got away from all the people in the hood who would protect them from people who weren't treating them with respect and so forth. But it was uh, Fred Hampton Jr. who went off on Kanye to make Kanye go off on Bush over Hurricane Katrina, if you want to know where that came from. Mm. That was to get street cred with the brothers back in Chicago who were saying, you got to give something back. Kanye has not been generous back in Chicago to people who were with him way back. And so we see this story over and over again of people getting out there, becoming big and important and forgetting the people that they came up with. This is why, brother, I don't have a problem as long as people treat me right, no matter how far or high up I get to do your show or other people, even people's blog shows, as long as they treat me right. Mm-hmm. Because um, before, well, not before, I did press TV before I met you, I did RT before I met you. I mean, I've done television off and on since the 
15 in radio since I was 12. At some point, I'm doing it. I mean, so it's a long time at 53. But the people who helped me when I was coming up or when I've been in the process of becoming are the same people I want to deal with always. We may have a falling out like that woman that you had called me with, said she had, a, she became a sex slave after 12. I just said, I can't her, don't send me nobody else like that. I mean, it's not that they weren't cute or whatever, but <laughs> I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to get none. Mm-hmm. Not someone telling you you're getting raped by people. Why would I want some of that? I mean, <laughs> may confuse my DNA with the rapists. They come and lock me up. No, no. Uh, you got a point. I'll, I'll take the vegetarian alternative, sister. Where's my hand? Here you go. I'm fine now. Okay. <laughs> Now, so that's Kanye. I feel really bad about Kanye because you need to know, I tried to do something with Malcolm Shabazz. We were getting there and folks didn't like our relationship. They separated him from me and they killed him. I tried and Marion Barry's son reached out to me and then I guess the people around him didn't want him talking to me. And now he's dead, okay? I've had some people that I reached out to Darren Seal, try to get a rapport with Seal, and he couldn't perceive. He's trying to do nothing. I just have love for people struggling, could never get the connection. He's gone. I hate to see young black men or women that you care about be destroyed. And sometimes it's because of their mindset. Or, or drugs, or something that gets in the way of what they could be. Because someone wants to destroy them. I, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That there are things destroying us. And we need strong, upright people to be around. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I'll say is, Yvonne Sion, who's... <laughs> I wanted me to be friends to Dave for me to be of some help to him. I've never quite had the opportunity uh, because it's a similar thing of folks being surrounded by and certain folks don't like get, you know, the mental space to say, Hey brother, you know, I see you now and then who are you? (laughs) You get where I'm coming from. Right. I, I'm not saying anything bad about that brother other than, you know, always keep some of these people in prayer, and particularly if they're truly creative, if they're truly insightful people like Dave is, then they see a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. A lot of entertainers, Marvin Gaye, distant cousin of mine, had a lot of pain. Yeah, I'll break that down real fast. Marvin Gaye's mother's a Cooper from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Uh, she went to the same high school as my grandmother. And my grandfather, you know, is from Rocky Mount Wilson. The Coopers are our family. So, yeah, Marvin Gaye's my cousin to his mom. Okay. I'm not, can't sing as well as him, but you know what made it freaky? My auntie is Kim Weston that used to sing with, Marvin, you have to have her on your show. I'm going to give you a number. Okay. And uh, it blew my mind. This is real talk. 
when she came to our family reunion because my uncle named his first daughter for Kim Weston. And it turns out my cousin Kim Short Elder looks just like Kim Weston. Imagine naming someone for someone the child turns out looking like them as an adult. And I was talking to her the other day, Kim the other day, and when Kim was here in 2011, Kim told me, she came and woke me up because we were sharing the same hotel room and says, I'm so glad you had me come to your family reunion. I really like your mother. And I'm like, okay. And I want to tell you something about yourself and your family. So I'm like, okay. She says, I, want, I really like your mother. She says, why? I says, because your mother reminds me of my best friend in the 60s. She says, well, who's that? Mrs. Gay. Mm. And I says, my mother doesn't look like Marvin Gaye's mother. She started yelling at me. I knew her. I used to eat her fried chicken. Your mama and Mrs. Gay could be twins when they are the same age. Mm. She says, now something else I want to say to you. You are like Marvin Gaye. You have a conflict. There's a conflict between your father and you over your mother. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, oh, my God. Well, some of that, a little truth in that. And she said, your family's just like Marvin Gaye's family. It's kind of true. In fact, my father was friends to Marvin Gaye's dad, the, <laughs> the cross-dresser. Okay, well, I, your dad didn't cross-dress like that, right? No, my was no, no, no. My dad was not cross dresser, and mm-hmm. Frankie Gay, uh, Marvin Gaye's younger brother, was in my father's singing group and Bible uh, study group. Went to the same high school, Stingon High School. So, the yeah, yeah, they are cousins. Wow. Okay. Um, my father, you know, he's so religious and not into popular music. Never explored as to why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our families were so closely connected. Um, but, yeah, isn't that amazing? Who's what? Who? I mean, I don't know. And imagine, I didn't really think about it until Kim Weston said to me, you're like Marvin Gaye. I said, you know, I, my brother used to say stuff like that, but I thought my brother, you know, my brother. But when she says, yes, you're just like the gay family. And one of the things I learned when you do genealogy is when people have family dynamics and talent and all this stuff in common, they're often related, even if they don't know it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started trying to understand where the family came from. And I found out, oh, my God, I am related to him. I never thought about it. Okay. Now, so, anyway, now, now for that, let's do my other family member. Let's talk about Bill Cosby. Yes. Okay, so fire away. I'm done with Kanye. Did I answer questions? Does this sound like, is that something you think your audience would want to hear? Oh, I love it. I mean, that background story, I mean, it'd be funny if he'd come out and say something about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I know. Uh, well, I love Kanye. I, I love this. This that We didn't put, I didn't trash nobody. Right, and you know, you know I could drop kicks. Oh, yeah, you good at that. I mean, you got verbal judo over there. You're a master at that. Uh, but I want to ask you what, about his thoughts about what he said about slavery as a choice and the other things he's been saying that well, seem to have people well, upset. Being with the white woman's a choice. Slavery <laughs> is called involuntary servitude. Now, if Kanye is talking about mental slavery, mm-hmm. where blacks in the last 50 years decide not to move forward, 
he's got a point. Mm-hmm. However, he poorly articulated my uh, interpretation of what he said. However, what I will say to you, my family lived in the Dismal Swamp, okay? Mm-hmm. The Dismal Swamp, you know, between Virginia and North Carolina. Yeah. My folks refused to be slaves, and, mm-hmm. and, and I just wouldn't do it. They just wouldn't. So, in a sense, being subordinate to other people does require the acquiescence and the cooperation of the dominated. And so there is a degree of that in all instances. Let me tell you, you know, in jail, they have to let the prisoners get high and have sex and use drugs in order to control the prisoners in the prisoners prisons right now. In fact, they have to give a degree of freedom to the prisoners in order to control them. They were too tough on the prisoners. They'd rebel all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So they give us just enough freedom to keep us compliant with the system. Huh? Yeah, that makes sense. And so in reality, we support, most black people are supporters of white supremacy and white hegemony. I can pick my favorite place, the black church. You can get a Negro preacher to go to Harvard or Yale or to, uh, what's that place? Uh, uh, ITC in Atlanta and get all the information about the African origins of, of the Bible and the people there and yet when they get a church if the Sunday materials have all white people and the white Jesus is up everywhere then that little pale sissy and all the little strange albinos in the publications and the fans remain the same hmm mm-hmm Nobody white made them have those fans. Nobody white made them have that literature. Nobody white made them have the iconography in their church. Not now. But you can go in the black church and almost everything's white. Except for the devil. Okay? And I can go on and on. Ebony Magazine, 1969, put a black Jesus on the cover. Ebony almost went out of business. Black people were so angry. How dare you? So um, a lot of people... In the words of the friend of uh, of Superfly, was I'm a slave, but I'm a rich ass slave. Before he yeah. called up the white folks to have uh, Superfly killed or attempt yeah. to have him killed, black folks are happy to be rich ass slaves. Yeah. Most of us. So in that instance. I agree with Kanye, and if it made a lot of black people angry, especially the coons, mm-hmm. I'm glad he said it. Not so much that I agree with the, the way it was interpreted, but a lot of black folks, they need to be insulted and slapped around, beat up, but wake up. There's a war going on, and there are too few people doing the fighting for black people's self-defense, self-determination, and freedom. We got a lot of jive, fake people, freeloaders, Grifters, passive thugs, riding the fence. We need to electrify that and put a taser up there behind. Mm. Why do you have to work so hard to promote your show with all the good stuff you're putting up? Why do certain preachers and folks I've seen trying to do the right thing have to work so hard and the little crooked devils 
mm-hmm. like klepto dollar. Klepto dollar. Sheets of fake instead of jigs. It's fake. That's what I just said. Mm. These people have it so easy, and righteous black folk have it so hard. You know, Martin Luther King talked about in the book, where do we go from here, chaos or community? He talked about the absolutely minimal numbers of black people doing what was necessary to turn things around and how the majority weren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. W.B. Du Bois, who I often disagree with, has an essay called The Meaning of Progress, and he talked about if everybody sacrificed then sacrifices wouldn't fall so heavily on anybody. But if a few have to sacrifice all for the many, then it's too much of a burden. So I see it every day of my life, treason and voluntary slavery. I see it at the HBCUs. I see it in black organizations. I see it in the black woman who is the penthouse centerfold, playboy centerfold, who jumps out the window killing her half-white baby and herself, why in God's name are you exposing your vagina to men that hate you in the first place, fool? And why did you feel justified to kill your half-black baby? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, I I look at the Congressional Black Caucus. There are almost 50 of them. Why can't they have some hearings? on poisonous water in Flint and in Brooklyn and in Newark and Philly and in Baltimore and in D.C. and in Houston, huh? Mm. I mean, they can't have a conversation. We're not talking about throwing a brick or say kill Whitey. Just talk about it. Isn't that what Congress people do? Not these slaves, brother. Mm. Okay. And these people are voluntary slaves. Huh? If my folks could be free in the dismal swamp to the point that Nat Turner was trying to move into our neighborhood, that's where they got stopped him from going. Mm -hmm. They knew where he wanted to go to our neighborhood. Huh? Mm. If black folks could be free when slavery was the law of the land, we don't have a lot of excuses right now. And I'm not talking about everybody. But look at some of this. Look at how stupid black people were over Ophaga. They do nothing for us. Yeah, DACA and DAPA jobs and scholarships and public housing and SNAP for illegal aliens as they dispossess black folks. And I see these coons with Obama T-shirts and paraphernalia. I hope the Klan run up on them. Dummies. I'm glad they have an uh, injunction against his library. In fact, I hope they arrest Obama just for it to traumatize the boule coons and the, co- the boule wannabes because a lot of black folks talk bad about the boule because they're not one, not because they hate what they stand for. A lot of black folks, they don't hate racism in general. They hate racism against them. Hate all the rest of them. Be nice to me. Discriminate against all the rest of them, but let me in. That's a disgusting trait in black folks. So if Kanye rats those fools, cool. 
I just hope it was intelligence and not opioids talking. Mm-hmm. Um, Next question. Oh, move on to your uh, your relative, Bill Cosby. Oh my God! Yeah, Bill Cosby. All right. Anybody with any sense and anybody that knows Dick Gregory knows that Bill Cosby was Dick Gregory's replacement at the Playboy Club, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Hugh Hefner was a pedophile hoe mm-hmm. and possibly an agent of the CIA. Mm-hmm. All right. You don't go to the Playboy Mansion to read the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd. I shall not want. You go to the Playboy Playboy Mansion because the Lord ain't my shepherd and I want it all. (laughs) I'm not saying Bill Cosby did everybody, but I will say if you go to a place where folks have orgies and all this kind of stuff, there's a chance that you're going to do some too. Mm -hmm. A chance. And in that fast life in Hollywood and back in the 60s, before the VD got so difficult to get rid of, a lot of people was hoes. Mm. A lot of people been hoes. And I'm tired of folks acting like Bill Cosby was the only hoe back then. And by the way, a lot of folk wanted Bill Cosby because he's famous. Famous people, in fact, I, made a, I wrote an article about venereal disease at Howard University when I was an undergrad, you know, when I was a grad student, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And one of the comments I made was, I wish the sisters would only have sex with the boys on the football team when they won, so they'd have an incentive to win. Don't well, sex them when they lose. That's mm-hmm. not, a hold don't pay you when you don't do it when you don't pay. So all you have to do is put on a uniform, be a bus driver, and someone's ready to jump your bones. That's how things are. So don't tell me that when Bill Cosby's getting Emmys on I Spy and got caught, that there weren't women throwing it at him. And everybody knows white women, when it comes down to black men, and for that matter, for the lesbians, white women are basically the most permissive females in the world. You know, to quote Cole Porter, any and everything goes. And everybody knows that sex Quaaludes, booze, come on. If you went to a white school, they had the parties, they get drunk, they have sex. That's what they do. They act like Bill Cosby is different. If he was, he's just one in the number. You don't see Mick Jagger getting picked up. You don't see David Bowie, a pedophile, he just died, get picked up. You don't hear about these, I mean, the... uh, a lot of these people, you don't hear about uh, the guys in KISS, Knights and Satan's Service, getting picked up. You don't hear about a lot of these movie stars and people that screwed everything that walked getting picked up. And it seems as if only Bill Cosby had a hard-on from about 1965 to 1985. If he's the last penis standing, he was doing a public service. Quote me. And all these people rape. White women have been lying about rape all of our lives and the lives of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and so forth. So why would I believe a white woman who didn't get a rape test, didn't follow? I mean, white women are so powerless. 
that they could by the dozens be raped by a black man and they'd be punishment, no white zealous officer who loved his white supremacy and his white woman wouldn't come after Bill Cosby, no detective, nobody. Bullshit. Bullshit. They're white folk who are shooting black folks every day over traffic tickets. You really think a white racist officer, if he knew Bill Cosby was raping white women, like eating Pringles chips out of a can, that he wouldn't take it upon himself? Like Mark Furman went after O.J., and we all know Mark Furman was having sex with Nicole Simpson, too, on O.J.'s dying, racist yeah. hypocrite. Bet he was schooling on O.J. paid for. Bigot. Yeah. So white women lie. Black women lie. And we need to remember something. The woman, Presley, the lawyer that, that they, they got rid of, had yeah. proved about eight or nine out of the 40 women before they stopped her had all lied. Another one has come forward and said she lied. So at least 10 of them have lied. Now, if I add that 10 to over 15 that have been removed from the case in Massachusetts, you're talking about maybe out of 65 women that have, that I'm aware of that have lied on Bill Cosby. I think the numbers even bigger, but out of, I'm going to just put those numbers at 15, Plus the 40, that's 55. There's another, they, they have these numbers everywhere, but just think about it. I'm talking about out of 55 women, out of 55 women, there was 10 plus 15. Out of 55 women, 25 of them had been found to have been lying. Well, that's almost half. Mm-hmm. And and so to me, just the probability saying with no evidence, they have no evidence on Bill Cosby, none. If almost half of the women are lying that we know of, I mean, the probability that, and, and those folks can't produce evidence or anything, then who's to say the rest of them aren't lying? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an astounding number of people caught lying sounds like a conspiracy to me. Huh? All of those women lying, proven. But you know what? I'll tell you, back to Kanye. The slaves say OJ did it. The slaves say Bill Cosby did it. The slaves say Herman Cain did it. The slaves say... (laughs) Tiger Woods did it. (laughs) And by the way, all of these people accused all had the same racist Jewish feminist name, Gloria Allred, orchestrating this persecution of black men. I know for a fact that Gloria Allred demanded $100 million from Bill Cosby for all these bimbos to go away, and he refused to pay. And that's when all this stuff started. Cosby's innocent. Now, Bill Cosby, let me just tell you how this happened with me because I wasn't really paying attention. Let's just break this down. I'm going to do this real fast, and I'll just do the whole family. Outside of Washington, D.C., you have an area called Sandy Spring. Sandy Spring is the oldest free black community in in the United States. Sandy Spring is where my mother's family is from. 
My grandfather was born there. My great-grandmother was born there. My great-great-grandmother was born there. And my family's been there since the 1700s, if not earlier. In fact, many of these people were free. In the 1770s, a lot of people do not know that the Quakers, the uh, Society of Friends, many of them let all their blacks go in 1775, which is, and that was commemorated by the creation of the Liberty Bell in Pennsylvania. It doesn't have a goddamn thing to do with the American Revolution. That's white folks lying like they're lying about this rape that they put on Cosby. Mm. Now, moving right back to Sandy Spring. Sandy Spring is the neighborhood, the community that Camille Hanks was born in. Camille Hanks' mother was born in Sandy Spring 22 years to the day before my mother was born. Um, The Hanks are my mother's relatives. Fact. That means Camille's some kind of cousin of mine. Now, jumping down to Virginia, there's a place called Lawrenceville, Virginia, where uh, that fraud Umar Johnson was supposed to buy at St. Paul College, which was started by my, my ancestors that lived in Lawrenceville, the Short family and other families. They're all related. Lawrenceville is a very small town. It's never been big. I'm going to just give you folks some basic information because black people act like we're not connected to each other. Mm-hmm. We are breeding populations, and that's based on, demog- on, on, on demography and demographics. Why? You can't screw someone in Canada. You can only screw someone that, <laughs> I mean, unless you're like Long Dong, you can reach across the room. You've got to be fairly close to someone to be able to have sex with them. I don't even care if you're an unnatural person. Mm-hmm. Unless you're trying to catch something, a special orifice, I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to get out of that. All right. Which means love the ones you're with. Breed with the ones you're with. Which means if you're from uh, due west, North Carolina, or Union City, Tennessee, and it's a small town, if you're there long enough, everybody screwed somebody in the same area. Assume you're related. A lot of black folks think you have to have the same last name. Shows you how stupid we are. Mm-hmm. All of that to say that there are less than 2,000 people in Lawrenceville, Virginia today. So if I've had family there for about 170 years or longer, and Bill Cosby's family comes from there, then all of us have been screwing each other for the better part of 200 years. So it's an impossibility that Bill Cosby is not related to me. And when I, uh, so I just want to say that. Now, the first certified black genealogist in the country is a woman by the name of Thelma Short Doswell. You can Google her. That's my cousin. Thelma Doswell is the first black person to do all this work. In fact, when they had the bicentennial in 1976, they had six engraved family trees represent America the tree that represented 15% of the population in America that's black was the tree of the Blackwell or Brooks Campbell Short family. I'm a short. Mm-hmm. All right. Bill Cosby is related to the Short family 
of Lawrenceville, Virginia. I learned this when I was 10 years old in 1975 because Thelma happened to be one of my teachers in school. All right, moving through that. Our family had a family reunion in 20 years, no, 10 years afterwards, in either 85 or 86. No, it's probably, probably 85 or 86. Our family had a reunion in Germantown, Pennsylvania, at the encouragement of Ms. Harris. Ms. Harris is Bill Cosby's aunt. She's the one that took care of Bill when his mother wasn't around, Bill and Russell Cosby. Mm-hmm. So I knew Bill Cosby's aunt, the woman who helped raise him, because she was my cousin Thelma's best friend in the family. Mm-hmm. Cosby refused to meet us. He snubbed his family. He didn't want us. He didn't reach out to us. I can recall his aunt crying because Bill refused. He was not far away, would not even come from his house to meet say, better part of 2,000 people who had gathered to, in Philadelphia. Can you imagine if you're like five or six minutes away and 2,000 people gathered in their family, right? You're America's father. You're America's family person, right? Mm-hmm. But you, I mean, no one asked for any money. We have another, we have other famous people in the family, Arthur Ashe being someone else. Arthur Ashe always came and you could touch him and talk to him. Nobody bothered him. He didn't need security. Bill Cosby was, was either too busy or too distracted, or too disinterested. And when his aunt, Mrs. Harris, died, he took out a whole page in Ebony Magazine to talk about her life and honor her. But one of the things that she wanted most from Bill that he refused to do was to meet his family. So understand after Bill, I watched Bill Cosby's aunt cry. He's that nasty to her about not wanting to know us. My attitude is F Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. And trust me, over and over again, if I sent you a picture of my Uncle James Short, he looks like Bill Cosby. You know the little mole that Bill Cosby has in his right eye? Mm-hmm. I have a mole in the same place. My father has a mole in the same place. My uncle has a mole in the same place. My aunt. Uh, you see how Bill Cosby's hair looks now? Mm-hmm. That's how my father's hair looks. If I'm going to send you some pictures. You'll realize, oh, my God, they do look very similar. Yeah. And, and by the way, I was really mad because when I was working in a mental hospital up in Massachusetts before going to Harvard, uh, McLean Hospital, the mental patients would always go wild on Thursday night because the Cosby show is on. Mm-hmm. And the people would always come out and scream and point and say, that's you, you're Bill Cosby. You look just like Bill Cosby. And I'd have arguments. And people said, just because we're in the middle hospital doesn't mean that we don't know what Bill Cosby looks like. You're Bill Cosby. Can you imagine hearing that over and over again? That's an angry thought. If I told someone, well, Bill Cosby is disorderly related, they'd say, oh, no, you're lying. So, man, so that just don't, t- I don't, people say, oh, you just like your cop. Oh, you do that again, I'm going to punch you. I'm tired of hearing that. <laughs> okay. I have a cousin named Suleiman. Suleiman looks exactly like Bill Cosby. Okay. That's the way the men in our family look. You see how Bill Cosby's hair is kind of like fine. It's not nappy, nappy. Mm-hmm. That's what our hair is. I have the same kind of hair. You seen it doesn't curl. I wish it did. I always wanted what people called nappy hair. I have semi nappy. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mine sticks up like Don King. And blacks need to be grateful for their hair. I try to get waves. I have to use a whole can of grease to get waves in my hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, back to Cosby. I I basically got mad with Cosby after that. This is awesome. I don't want to know nothing about him. And because if you don't like me, you wouldn't even stop and talk to him. Screw you. Now, what happened when Bill Cosby... In fact, I've never watched a full episode of The Cosby Show. Not once. Okay? Never. <laughs> okay? I've seen pieces. Never. I've, if you start talking to me about an episode, I wouldn't know anything you're talking about. I did watch A Different World, but I never watched The Cosby Show. Because everyone talk about a great father. I'm thinking you wouldn't even, you don't even own us. <laughs> we, we, you know, it's not my fault we're related. And it shouldn't be a bad thing. I'm nobody to be ashamed of. Right? Anyway. What happened with Cosby, when he went off on black people, that, I mean, I was just done. Devil. Mm. Why are you doing that? I mean, you're talking about people not doing what they're supposed to do. You're not even in, in touch with your own family. And, and, and we're not stealing pound cake getting shot. Okay? Anyway, that happened. And a lot of my friends were people, Martin Kilson. My guy, um, uh, Glenn Ford, a black commentator, a lot of people I knew, the associates of mine, went off on Bill. I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. All right, so that happened, so I moved to that. And when that thing came out about him with that girl, Amber, and he'd been banging that, banging that white woman, like, mm-hmm, all this stuff you're talking. See, a lot of folks forget Bill Cosby's daughter, one of his daughters was a big-time uh, freak, a druggie, Right? Okay. And the reason that they gave that woman um, that was president of Spelman, and I, I always forget her name because her name is unusual, um, and I don't want to call it the wrong name, but the woman who was the president of Spelman uh, back when he gave all that money, that was in part to say thank you to her for preventing his daughter from just going off the deep end, okay? Mm, And by the way, you haven't heard anything from her, so you know who I'm talking about. What's a woman's name that was President Spellman? You know, I just remember that just got it that fast. Um, She, and I can see her face, and she's got, like, moles around her eyes, too. It's Mm -hmm. fair-complected. and I keep thinking one person that it's not, it's not Lynn Huntley of the Southern Education Fund. It's not Olivia Heron. She's the lesbian that had the uh, Batman cape that was up at Mount Holyoke University. Um, she, oh God, I wish I could remember her name. If you got your computer, look at the Spellman presence because her, her name, I mean, I don't see, you don't even hear about her anymore. But this lady was a phenomenal educator. And so as a payment for her saving his daughter's life, at least getting her directed, they gave all that money. Um, that's why that money was given. And um, in fact, I'm going to look for this woman's name while I'm talking to you, and, and I'll bring it up a little later. I just like to be, because when you talk to black folks, they don't read, they don't research. You know what I'm saying? Her, 
So you have to say all of that, or if you don't remember the name, Negroes like playing chicken for soup, but they don't like information, which is crazy. I mean, if I say it's the president of Spelman, it's a female, you should be able to look it up and find out what it is. Why do I have to remember all these names in particular when these people's names are irregular? I'm trying to get into my Google and do this. Forgive me for going off on this tangent, because each time I try to remember, I used to talk to her, and uh, I can't remember. I hate that when it's something like this where you want to remember the name. The reason being, hold on, I'm almost there. Um, um, let me see. This, this, this lady, hold on one second. Spellman. And now, moving on while, while I'm looking for this, I wanted to say um, um, that Cosby uh, had a lot of things that he did that was great. And I want to say this. He has a tremendous legacy, a tremendous one, right? A phenomenal legacy. I'm not trying to take nothing away from me. For for me, it's like a familial personal thing. You know, you can be in a great a family and have a great family member that everybody loves, but they sort of like didn't look after their own or, or engage with their own. And that's sort of the feelings I had. But, you know, I was on Twitter and this white Jewish lady named Michelle started bothering me. I says, God, this woman's trying to get some. And I'm not, I'm not interested in no white woman. I want a black woman. I mean, I'm, just me. I'm, I don't understand black men being with white women. I mean, I know some that do. I just, I don't want to be one of them. Okay. And this lady would follow me and would write me. And I'm like, okay, I would always run her off. And one day, you know, because, you know, I'd be up on Twitter just laying it down, how I felt about stuff. And she says, I really find you very interesting to read. I'm like, okay, she's macking. Becky Mack, all right. Um, and I'm like, okay, fine. And then one day she says, um, how do you feel about Bill Cosby? And that was the wrong thing to say to me. I said, fuck Bill Cosby. <laughs> 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 Are you hearing me, brother? Oh, yeah. Janetta B. Cole, that's her name. Janetta Cole. It's, the name is so irregular. Yeah. I don't, that's the only person I know with that name, Janetta Cole. Yeah. Janetta Cole's a very good sister. I think she's one of the first women presidents of Spellman. I think she was the first one, yes, sir. Yeah. And, and just yeah. a phenomenal lady, a, an awesome sister. Mm-hmm. And so it was a good thing for Bill to give and that that made that was something everybody was proud of. Right. About the Michelle. Mm-hmm. So she says, you know, I, why are you like that? I mean, I said, this is fucking nonsense. I feel fuck him. And she said, uh, well, so you think he's guilty? I says, no, I don't think Bill Cosby's guilty of of rape, but he's guilty of dogging his family. After that, I mean, he just turned his back on us. And then you got all this money for these white hoes. You could have bought some hot dogs for your family to their union. That's small mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 
Nobody. You know what my cousin wanted? Thelma, all she wanted from Bill was like a grant where we could put all of the family history from Africa and Canada and the U.S. and Europe and Latin America together. It costs money to do that, and she couldn't do that with Social Security money. And with cheap, back with small town Southern folks in our family, yeah, they cheat and send you down to Virginia. I see why people move to the city to get away from that stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I said that about small town coons. And Bill Cosby, what he did, which really set me off, was he didn't acknowledge being related to us until Thelma. Okay. Thelma's a woman that Alex Haley ripped off. One of the many people he robbed for roots. That's how respected she was. She got Alex Haley the grant to write the book. Wow. And so when Bill waited for her to get dementia to acknowledge that he was related to us after she had been out there since the 50s, and you start dealing with this in the, in the 2000s, wow. you know, wouldn't you, that's a big, you know, he gave, he gave her a big professional middle finger. And so I was like, damn, she can't enjoy it now. I'm serious. And when I went to see my cousin last, because she'd been ripped off by everybody, I mentioned Alex Haley. And my cousin hated Alex Haley so much. She's in a wheelchair dragging herself around by the back of her feet, screaming at me, saying, what you come to take from me now, Haley? Wow. I had a friend. I took my other cousin, mm-hmm. someone that we have to talk about, Avatar. You know, Avatar was written, uh, it was two screenplays called Aquatica and Pollination, written by my cousin Bryant Moore, who's from uh, Albany, New York. He was the president of Howard University's uh, student class. He was the president uh, 1986, 80, 1986 president. He, was, he went with me to meet my cousin because we all have, you know, she has a house that's like a museum with statues, pictures, you know, like her great-grandfather was uh, John C. Breckenridge, who was the Secretary of War for the Confederacy. Vice President of the United States and also second runner up of the constant second runner up for president behind Lincoln, head of the Constitution Union Party. That's so yeah. That's why, you know, people want to do this Confederate stuff. I always tell people then you have to make me the executive because I have the highest ranking family line in wow. the Confederacy. Yeah. Not that I wanna do it, just I had to tell one devil that who's I had I called a friend of mine. You've heard of Wayne Matson, investigative reporter. Oh yeah, yeah. I was with Peter Bailey, who I think you know of, who's Malcolm X's secretary. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to. I had Peter Bailey meeting with Dave Chappelle's mom. Okay, I was trying to get her boyfriend. And was, <laughs> <laughs> she's a nice, she's a wonderful lady. Okay, yes, I like her. She definitely is. And so let me tell you what happened. I called, and this dude started boasting about being at the Confederate uh, Confederate uh, Veterans Museum, whatever. And he was so arrogant. And I said to him, you know, you can go to hell, sir. In fact, I need to come and take your job. What did your folks do in the Civil War? Get hit with a mini ball at Pickett's Charge? I said, look, my great-great-great-grandfather was head of the Confederate uh, War Department. 
your family was nothing. I need to come in and take your damn job. What do you say? Well, he got scared because in reality, a lot of these people don't even know whether their folks fought the Confederate Army or not. Mm. <laughs> and a whole bunch of black folks are descendants. You know, my mentor, I'll tell you about him. His name is Philip Smith. Okay. Philip Smith was the brother who did a lot of the writing for the Black Power Conferences in 66 and 72. Mm-hmm. There's a man named Philip Smith from Chicago, Philip Smith Jr. Mm-hmm. In fact, Philip Smith Jr. ran the first campaign that got John Conyers started, first mm-hmm. campaign that got Mayor Hatcher started, worked mm-hmm. on the campaigns that got Cynthia McKinney back into Congress as well as races before. He worked on the first campaign to get Gibson, the first black mayor in Newark. He worked on Coleman Young's first campaign to get him the first black mayor wow. of Detroit. He gave technical advice for this is all right. He's the great, great grandson of Stonewall Jackson. So if these people want to play these games about these statues and all, then they need to have these people's real family be the interpreters. Nobody will want no Confederate statues. If people like me are the ones talking about the history of our family, the white folks will knock them down for us. Uh That's what, so yeah, he, the conversation quickly changed. Mm. So uh, back to Thelma, she was just tripping, uh, screaming and cussing at Alex Haley. So that means the last time I saw my cousin, because Alex Haley never gave her a penny, the title Roots had nothing to do with Alex Haley's novel. The original title was Before This Anger. Roots was my cousin's name for her genealogical essay on the short Brooks Campbell short family that includes Arthur Ashe and and, uh, Bobby Short, the piano player, the one that was born Gloria Vanderbilt. (laughs) Well, at least, hi, okay, right. And Alex Haley decided to steal her title and put it on his book because his publisher didn't like it. Uh, Aside from that, if you've ever read Roots, and Alex Haley's mother, which is his father's sister's name, Shanty. Mm-hmm. Shanty is my ancestor. doesn't have a goddamn thing to do with Alex Haley. So I have a signed copy of Roots. I've never bothered to read it because he's a fraud. Now, back to Cosby. This is a sidebar. So you can understand this genealogy is serious in our family. Okay. Now, moving right along, Cosby, this woman... When I went off on her saying to Bill Cosby, this is Michelle, the Jewish lady. Mm-hmm. When I went off on Bill Cosby about dissing us, she got happy. I didn't know she was happy. And she began plotting to get me to have a conversation with Bill Cosby, thinking that maybe Bill Cosby could win or at least be vindicated in his upcoming trial if he had his family stand by him. This lady began bugging me over Twitter. So when are you going to help Bill Cosby? Says, damn, look, Bill Cosby doesn't give a damn about us. We don't matter. I don't hate Bill. I don't think, but you know, when black folks make it, they turn on the rest of us. I'm not, I get it. He's up there. We're down here with nobody. Mm-hmm. And you know, I got to give this lady some credit. She has heart. She just kept coming after me. Why won't you help Bill Cosby? Bill Cosby's your family. Bill Cosby's your blood. 
Why do you black people hate each other so much? Why don't you stand up and fight these white people trying to kill them? Mm-hmm. See you. I've been following you. You're fighting for people in Iran, and you won't fight for your cousin. God damn you. It's just going off. I mean, this white one loves Bill Cosby. Hey, she had a, uh, did she have a relationship with Bill Cosby, huh? No. She's a Jewish woman who's an Iraqi Mizrahi Jew who doesn't like other Jews because they're racist. She mm-hmm. does like black men, but mm-hmm. she said that the Jewish mafia was trying to destroy Bill Cosby. And the same people who had framed Bill Cosby had tried to steal her children in the Montgomery County court system. And it's a bunch of crooked, pedophile, mafia Jews and wasps that don't respect any of the rules. And their scam down there is unsealing people's records, violating consent and other agreements to take people down. And what had happened to Bill had been done to her. And they're trying to steal her child. And she knew the Jewish people that were doing this, and she can't stand those kinds of Jews. Mm-hmm. Once she started learning about racism, because she, she worked in the school system, she began to learn how black kids just destroyed for the hell of it by white. And she got mad. Mm-hmm. So she kept hammering me. So I said, look, I don't know if this lady's real. Okay, fine. I'll help mm-hmm. Daniel Cosby. Go away. And she says, are you really going to help Bill Cosby? I says, yeah, because you're nagging shit on me. I, I don't appreciate it. Just great. So she sends me, you need this phone number. And she sends me this phone number. And you know what crossed my mind, Heard? She's trying to get a booty call. God, white women are persistent. I'm not, she's not going to get it. I'm not going to give her none. No. But I said, you know what? I'm not going to give her the satisfaction of saying I didn't call. So you know what I did? I waited until about 3.30 in the morning to call the number. Mm-hmm. I called at 3.30 in the morning, and I left a message. Mm-hmm. And at 3.45, I got a call back. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, here it comes. But it wasn't a white woman's voice. It was a black man's voice. Mm-hmm. The guy's name is uh, Andrew Wyatt, Bill Cosby's publicist. The one you see leading him around with the fat, fat back meat on the back of his head, the J.C. Penney yeah. suit with the glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He said, um, "Well, short. I think we should talk to you. Okay, fine. We're going to talk to Bill. In fact, we're talking at four in the morning. He says, "Do you think you can talk at seven? I'm not going to say no. So I said, "Yes." But you know what happened? I overslept. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. So I, I called him back maybe about 11 o'clock. I got my attorney, uh, my brother, my buddy, Ken Nixon, one of the best black attorneys in the country. And I had him partner with me. And we talked to Andrew White again. And... Andrew let Bill know we wanted to talk to him. And this was back in October last year. And Bill and us talked for like 90 minutes. Bill became particularly friendly when 
And he realized I knew about St. Paul College in Lawrenceville. And I even told him that he told my favorite older cousin, Robert Short, who lives in Lawrence, South Carolina, who was on the board of trustees of St. Paul College in Lawrenceville, that in fact, Bill Cosby was a part of the Short family. Okay. He couldn't deny, yes, yeah, I know who you told. He told me the day that you told him. <laughs> you can't make this up. I'm not trying to get a T-shirt. I'm telling you what is. And then Bill began to really just open up. And the thing that was crazy, that was so crazy, I'll just tell you a quick story about Bill Cosby. You know, Bill Cosby grew up in the projects in Philly. Right? Yeah. Do you know why the Cosby family moved from, in fact, I have to tell you, my cousin Selma Doswell, the genealogist, mm-hmm. her oldest son's name is Cosby. It's a common name in our family, first name. Mm-hmm. So just to show you, this is, this is something I'm making up. I'm not, you know, nobody wants a... A convicted rapist necessarily as a family member. I'm not saying he did it, but, you know, I I hope the appeal goes through. But anyway, uh, Cosby's uncle got called a nigger by a white man down in Virginia, and he took a straight race and decapitated the white man. And that's how the Cosby's got to Philly. I think I told you the story to my family. Everyone, our family history is always the same. Somebody just can't take oppression from white folks. They will flip out and do something that's uncharacteristically cruel because they don't like being treated a particular way. There's a choice, right? You made a choice to do that. Yes. <laughs> right. And he, he, he cut the man's, he cut the man's head off. Mm-hmm. And that's how Bill's family got to Philly. So did he change his last name to Cosby or something? Or like, was it... No, kept the name. Okay. No, no. My grandfather shot and killed the sheriff's son in Rocky Mountain in the 30s. He, keep the... he changed the name. Mm. <laughs> okay. So, and the stories are all the same for the people in our family. I don't know if you know uh, Dino, Dino Dean. Chicago, who does a blog show? Yeah, I heard it. You know, yeah. Dino's my cousin, too. Do you know Dino? His folks are from Rocky Mount, and his great grandfather <laughs> shot a battle, a battle. He's in the battle family. Okay. okay. Kill somebody white, and they moved to Chicago. And it's the same. Whenever you talk to him, it's always the same. Somebody black. Couldn't take it, flipped out, and hurt someone the family had to move, okay? Yeah. It's not like the movie The Butler, okay? And mm-hmm. you, in fact, my family was from around Macon, okay? That's Empire and uh, Chester, Georgia, not far from Macon, okay? okay? And my great-grandfather, I think, off somebody, and that's how our family moved to North Carolina and changed their name. So the story's always the same <laughs> These things run in bloodlines of people who who have a kind of behavior that just go off on someone. I'm not like, this is the one. I'm hurt someone. So we had a great conversation. It was really, really nice. I did not record it because I promised Mr. Cosby, and I kept my word. So I can't prove it, but I wouldn't lie to you. At the end of the conversation, I told Nixon 
because Bill Cosby asked us to please stay in touch. And I told uh, Ken and Andrew Wyatt, the little fat dude that leads Bill Cosby around, mm-hmm. was, was jealous of me because I have an organic connection to Cosby. And he's not going to tolerate me having any rapport with Cosby. He's going to sabotage our effort. What we had wanted to do was get a grassroots campaign together comprised of family and activists to say, we want Bill Cosby to be uh, innocent until proven guilty. We were promised another opportunity to talk to Cosby. And Andrew Wyatt said that he would talk to us in a couple of days. And Andrew Wyatt didn't keep his word. By time we caught back up with Andrew White, I was in Montreal, Canada, and he played games with us that day. When we finally got him, uh, Ken and I had put together a proposal called Preserving a Legacy. We had asked for a small sum of resources to get a bunch of experts and black folk who would fight for Cosby better than what these Jews were doing. The guy got angry and says, why should I give you so much money? He says, you don't have to give us. You See what we can do for him before you tell us no. He ain't greedy. We understand nothing's free, but we'll work for it. And he was just really nasty and stank about it. Mind you, they paid Mazzaro millions, and he failed. We asked him for thousands. That's reasonable. Bill Cosby stood to lose millions. Come on, man. If you had millions of dollars, tens, hundreds of millions, and you're, everything you had was at stake, and someone says, hey, look, I think we can help you for a few hundred thousand. Does that sound like a big loss? And, and what you need to know is that there have been a bunch of black lawyers who've been paid up to a half million dollars apiece who didn't even submit an invoice to Cosby. They did no work. Mm-hmm. If you could, they, these people were working against Cosby, taking money from the enemies of Cosby and Cosby's money and didn't deliver it, and they didn't even ask for it back. What, about the, Presley, what about the Monique Presley? I mean, it, it was a bit- I believe was run out by Wyatt. I, I don't feel like Wyatt is competent. I do know that he has lied. He has lied to Bill Cosby about the extent of work that he's done. If you look up Wyatt and try to find out about the firm that he says he represents, you can't find it on the internet. It's hard to find. Who is he? Who is this guy? Do you know what Andrew Wyatt told us? And I have a witness to this, that he had an extensive social media uh, campaign to protect and and put out the word on Bill Cosby. Have you seen it? Mm -mm. That's what he says. And he said no media was really willing to let Bill speak. That's not true. I bet a whole bunch of people didn't want to have Bill speak. Exactly. Now, now you see my point. Since, since I have nothing to lose, my conclusion is that Mr. Wyatt is either wittingly or unwittingly causing Bill Cosby's demise. Okay, I had people at RT and Press TV, and I could have gotten others interested in Bill Cosby. 
But I, the person that was blocking it was Mr. Wyatt. Bill Cosby said he wanted to speak to us again. Mr. Wyatt never let that happen. Now, what happened when we spoke to him on the phone in October of last year, he got angry about the money, which wasn't a whole lot. I need to let you know it was under $200,000. And it wasn't going to all go into anybody's pocket. Uh, it was to do oppositional research and other things to help Cosby. Uh, he got into an argument with Ken, and he says, uh, Mr. Cosby's my client. He's a client. as a client. And, and what Ken says is, for me, Bill Cosby is not a client. He's a cause. Guy got mad. And that's when I tried to come in, because I was silent for most of it. And I said, Andrew, what you need to understand, brother, is that the next trial is set for April. April is the 50th anniversary or the commemorative anniversary of Dr. King's assassination in Memphis, April 4th. Brother, they killed the dreamer in April, and they want to kill one of their leading exponents of the dream in April 50 years later. They're going to hook Bill Cosby up to Me Too, which he's not a part of. And they're going to, it says, if you don't let us help you, they're going to convict Bill, Bill Cosby within just about three weeks after the anniversary of Dr. King's assassination in a speedy trial. It's going to happen so fast. It doesn't have to be that way. He slammed the phone down on me. He claimed that his phone cut off. It's not true. He did not want us to help Bill. Are you hearing me, Hurt? Yeah. Didn't Bill Cosby get convicted just about three weeks after Dr. King's assassination? Okay. Some people say I'm a prophet. I'm not trying to be a psychic. I'm just being however I'm led to be. Okay. Have you noticed I tell you about stuff and it happens? Yeah. I ain't, that's God. It's not me. I don't know anything about the future. Mm-hmm. Happened just like I said. Do you know I haven't heard from that dog? He mm. can't admit. And see, if you had told me something months in advance, almost to the day, I would have to come back and say, brother, I made a mistake. Can you help me? But he did send us an email. Our services and our communication with him is no longer desired and would be of no, basically no use. And it's Andrew Wyatt. Yes, but Andrew Wyatt has, no one can get to Cosby. You have to go through Wyatt. Yeah, you know, I, I went to something, I'll research something right quick, and it, it, it linked to his uh, LinkedIn page. They say okay. him, Alabama, but I have I saw an article about him being Cosby, who was Andrew Wyatt from two years ago, but it can't find too much anything else on it. That's it. He hasn't done the work for Cosby. It's the elephant in the room is this <laughs> this uh, bubblicious coon. Bubblicious coon, wow. <laughs> and nobody, nobody's just, just, you can't talk to Camille. This, and so Bill Cosby is going to go to jail. 
And every time Bill Cosby gets screwed in the media, he gets screwed in the media when he went to that AP meeting. Remember Bill Cosby, the guy jumped out in the rape thing? You know who mm. set up the interview? Who? Andrew Wyatt. Mm. Good Morning America, the day after the trial, and Andrew Wyatt's talking about Bill Cosby's walking around uh, as a free man. And then the judge says that Bill Cosby's under house arrest. He's going to need an ankle collar. Mm-hmm. I would said my man was free. Remember when Bill Cosby comes out of the trial and it's a hung jury? And this guy declares it's a legal victory. And he has his fists up in the air, black power. Mm-hmm. Would you do that if you knew Montgomery County is the home of the Klan? Mm-mm. Nope. That's the person that, that's Bill Cosby. After all this talking about black folks and so forth, and I kind of get part of what he's talking about, he's being done in by greedy Jews and this coon. I've asked people in Birmingham. I'm trying to find anybody, does anyone know this guy? And, and you can't find anything. This, a real reputable PR firm, there should be more. Don't you think? Most definitely, yeah. So, but no, and where's the black person? Nobody asks nothing. Do you realize they have some sort of content? You try to find Monique Presley. I, you can't, there's no email, there's nothing. They made her disappear. Anybody, you can't get in. I reached out to Alvin Poussat. Nope, I won't help you. You can't talk to him. No, just go away. He's busy. Hmm. Uh, so he's Bill Cosby's being led to the slaughter by this Judas goat coon and the kosher Nostra thugs. What do I think they want? The same way they want Michael Jackson's catalog and they want Prince's catalog and his masters. They want a different world. And all the stuff is going to be in the hands of Karzarian thugs. Don't have a damn thing to do with no rape. In fact, as ugly as some of those brats were, they should be glad Bill was willing to drug them and give them some. In fact, maybe he had to take the drugs to go down on anything so ugly. Wow. And it's interesting... Just before Bill Cosby died, those white lesbians in California that raped those and abused and starved those black kids out on the Pacific Northwest and then killed them in California, nobody talks about that. And they used a little silly black woman with the fake Indian jury to talk bad about Bill Cosby. Let's see how fast before people even forget about her. We got a lot of useless black women. I'm telling you, useless, useless, useless. Just they think because they got a white girlfriend that they matter. I'm so tired. And then you know the other thing that got me: the little idiot black woman that had um, little idiot sister mm-hmm. had her um, had her her breast exposed. Remember that? She ran out and attacked Bill Cosby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know she had a white boyfriend, right? Mm-mm. You start seeing a lot of these idiot black women that are doing a lot of this craziness. 
they all have white girlfriends or white husbands or boyfriends that use them. They're like weaponized Sally Hemings. Wow. That's all I'm going to say. Bill Cosby's being betrayed, targeted by the Jews. By the way, I want to remind people, remember Herman Cain was running for president? Yeah. And one bimbo after the other showed up and was yeah. causing Herman Cain's wife to have heart problems. Mm. Who was behind it? Jewish, Jewess, Gloria Allred, who represented the Goldman family and the Brown family against OJ. Right. Gloria Allred, who went after Eddie Murphy in relationship to the Spice Girl. Gloria Allred, who gave the little Swedish tramp all of Tiger Woods' money. Gloria Allred. And I want to point out a coon in this thing, the one with the James Brown wig. Her name is Maxine Waters. In fact, she needs to go to the emergency room and get some Botox. They say black don't crack, but she's an exception to the rule. Mm. You know who's buddies with Gloria Allred? Mm. Maxine Waters. If you saw the Dick Gregory funeral, remember Maxine Waters said to Bill Cosby, a friend in need is a friend indeed? Right. What a lie. How can you be friends to Gloria Allred and be friends to Bill Cosby, Maxine Waters? You're fake. You used to be relevant. You don't even have any black people in your district and you support DACA. You're a contradiction aside from being unattractive. Now, we can do the royal wedding in about two, three minutes, okay? Right. <laughs> First and foremost, who cares? Number two, they're trying to make Martin Luther King the Bartholomew de las Casas for miscegenation and black folks being wiped out, us being replaced by the Hispanics and us integrating into a mess of pottage, which is also a burning house. Mm. The royal family has gotten rich off of the extermination and theft of black people's resources. Some black woman or half black woman getting a half time, half size penis from a dude who used to wear Nazi uniforms, whose father isn't really Prince Charles. Yeah. Okay, and I'm not impressed. I mean, I'd rather have fake Wakanda over fake Westminster Abbey. And for all the little ignorant black people thinking it's such a great thing to be in the royal family, they forget that Queen Charlotte was black. And did she do anything to abolish the slave trade when England had the, uh, the Asiento to trade in black folks? No. So all this talk about this Markle, and yet most black folks in America haven't heard about the Windrush, W-I-N-D-R-U-S-H, generation controversy, where the British government was trying to kick up to a million blacks or more out of England, pretending that those people didn't have citizenship because the Home Secretary destroyed the records showing when their families came to England between the late 1940s and 1980. Wow. So what, having a, a half-black queen who doesn't know who she is, what's that going to do for folks 
in their 80s and 90s within the last few months that got letters being told they need to go back to Jamaica, Trinidad, or Montserrat, and they've been in England 50, 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. She's going to say anything? That's like yeah. saying Obama's going to say something about the cops killing our kids. Or for that matter, <laughs> Kamala Harris, who looks mm-hmm. like, um, what's his name, Joe Morton. <laughs> from he does. And Joe Morton's prettier. Wow. You know, it was Mike Brown's <laughs> birthday today, too. I mean, he said Obama, you know, what happens to people in Ferguson? Uh, yeah. That's sprayed with chemicals. And, you know, it's all constituents. Obama didn't do nothing. In fact, you know that they've released that Inspector General report, and one of the things in it is that Loretta Lynch was trying to make a deal with the New York police not to expose the Hillary Clinton as a pedophile that rapes and abuses children, yeah. and that all these predator pedophiles in Congress that they had pictures of that Uma Abedin gave to her husband, Anthony yeah. Wink, one that kept showing his undersized penis to underage girls who's doing like two years in jail. Okay. Do you know that Loretta Lynch said, hey, look, if y'all keep these pictures and stuff quiet, I promise to not let anybody arrest the officers that murdered Eric Garner and the other black people. Mm. But if you guys release this stuff, we're going to have Black Lives Matter turn New York out. Remember, Black Lives Matter was like every day. There's not that many white folk in the world that care about black people. So I know that's bull. Notice how Black Lives Matter stopped after this Pizzagate stuff started hitting. You didn't see them in New York anymore. Mm. Think about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Obama gave millions of dollars, over $7 million to Black Lives Matter. What a lot of people don't know is that Hillary Clinton's group gave $18 million to a Black Lives Matter clone group called Black Youth 100. All those protests were funded by enemies of black people. All right? And so when people say Obama couldn't have helped and all that stuff, it's not true. They used the murder of black people as a voter registration (laughs) tool. And it backfired. And Trump won. Hmm. So, and and said they're living every time a black got killed, they were hoping, and the Clinton campaign is even on the record saying that that was good for them each time a black person was murdered by the police. Mm. Talking about super predator. Are you feeling me? I hear you. Yes, sir. And and, and when I see these black women running after Hillary, y'all some dumb cows. Do I think that Trump is black folks' best friend? No, black people need to be their own best friend along with God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And I know our worst enemies are coons and racists, and I don't know in which order some days. Mm. Now, come on, bring me some questions. Hawaii, I mean, it's stupid. Why would you try to live on top of a volcano? <laughs> Shoot, that's like trying to go to an orgy at the AIDS conference. It's dumb. It's dumb. Well, it's you really dumb. Go, though, I mean, you can't escape hurricanes, tornadoes, and earthquakes. There's always some type yeah, but, of... Uh, but building on top of a volcano? Well, would you put your genitals in a microwave? 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, there are lots of places you can put. I guess you're free. It's a free country. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of that. People are silly. Okay. No, you shouldn't be on a volcano. And in fact, there are four volcanoes on the big Hawaii Island. Five big volcanoes. The one that's there, that's, that's spewing out lava now, is one of the most active in the world. Hmm? Mm-hmm. You can drive for 20 miles and still be on top of it. I mean, <laughs> why would you want to be on a volcano that big? How much of it can erupt? Nobody really knows. Trust me, American U.S. Geological Society. <laughs> they only know when the stuff happens. <laughs> There's an earthquake. I know my house is falling down. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, please. And oh my God, brother, would you like the movie Black Panther? I mean, I found it interesting. It was very watchable, and I saw it twice. And many people can crazy. I saw it over. twice too. Yeah. You know, I called it Black Panther. Okay. And I found all kinds of things awful about the film. Uh, I would give it a, a C. Okay. I wouldn't give it an A. Um, I know a lot of people like Killmonger, but if you recall, the the film is basically bookended by the African that like black Americans gets murdered, and the uh, <laughs> African American or the African African American mix basically opts to die versus spending his life in jail. So the 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 father would have been mass incarcerated and the son is mass incarcerated. How is that a, a paradise? And, and and then, oh, there's all kinds of symbolism. Remember the ball-headed uh, sister that all the women are so proud of? And that woman, man, she's got more testosterone than Wesley Snipes in his prime. Okay? Remember when she threatens to kill the man that she's supposed to care about? Right. Remember he drops his sword? Mm-hmm. Did you notice that the rhino drops its horn? Mm-hmm. You know, rhino horn is something that you eat to make your penis hard, people believe. The Chinese, that's why the rhinos are all being killed off. Mm. But that's a symbolic castration of the black man right there in front of people. Folks didn't see it. Wow. But ask yourself, why would the hero be a man, a black man? First of all, his hair is too long for me. I mean, mm-hmm. then why are you killing all the women in the film? He didn't love one woman. There's no real love. that shot the woman in the head that he happily slobbered on. Um, choked out this one woman for only doing what her work was. There was no, he had no love for women. I thought that was very faggy. I yeah. did. And he, he even poisoned the white woman. I mean, just, well, at least he didn't go out with her. That's unusual. But anyway, <laughs> um, so he, he kills women and creates mayhem. And by the way, uh, you know, the CIA agents, the hero. Right. Come on. Oh, I mean, that's garbage. Uh-huh. Um, and then the dude talking like Malcolm, not, not Malcolm X, but Nelson Mandela. Okay. Uh-huh. Nelson Mandela was a coon, y'all. Nelson Mandela's a coon. Uh-huh. I mean, that. Mandela's a coon. And, and, and Mandela had a white boyfriend. Fact. Oh. Wow. Are you challenging me? I want, I, the, look, it's like this. There's a book called I, I Rode With or I Drove. It's, it's a film from 1980s, late 1980s or early 1990s. 
about the homosexual man that Mandela lived with for the years he was running from the uh, boss, the South African Secret Service. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't know is that that white man was so in love with Nelson Mandela that he refused to destroy Mandela's papers because it's, you know, it's sort of like a woman keeping the strand of a man's hair or keeping all the stuff like, you know, my father's deceased. My mother's kept, I mean, we've had food in this house that my father never ate. It's been here for like seven years, but, you know, that was mm-hmm. your father, right? Mm-hmm. Well, white dude had all the Mandela stuff. He wouldn't destroy it, which was the orders from, from you know, the ANC people, and he wouldn't do it. Oh. And when the South African people raided his house, the papers found in the white man's house was how they were able to nail Mandela, his right. white boyfriend, who, by the way, was loyal to the end of Mandela. This, you know, a lot of people don't know. I mean, forgive me, I have friends in the Mandela family. I mean, my favorite one's Winnie, she's gone. Mm-hmm. But you that South Africa is the first country in the world to make homosexual rights constitutional. Wow. That's what Mandela, and the first things Mandela did when he came out of jail was did all this stuff for gay people. To this day, the blacks in South Africa don't have much to show for mm. take supposedly ending. But gay folks have never, it's the best of times. Isn't it interesting how Mandela and Obama are about the same? I was thinking, uh, when you were saying that, I was thinking about Obama. <laughs> By the way, did you know that Mandela and them let all the illegal aliens from Africa come into South Africa, which has caused the black South Africans to suffer? I didn't know that part. Uh, Not the same. Doesn't it sound the same? Oh, yeah. It sounds like a miracle. Right. Right. So Mandela, mm mm-mm, mm-mm. Now, come on. Let's kick it some more because we can do another one of these if you want. Now, how much longer do you want to go with this? I want to ask you about, uh, I'm curious about the news for sound. I know you did some work with her a couple years back. Okay. Oh, my God. Denise for sound. All right. Let's do this real fast. Mm Mm-hmm. I met Denise LaSalle, I would say, yeah, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. I worked for her husband, James Wolf, when, after I was unfairly terminated from Lane College, it's called the West Tennessee Cultural Heritage Association. Uh, Wolf is also known as Super Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, First, I mean, I, when I first moved to Jackson, Tennessee in 2007, I remember someone taking me to see their house. I didn't, you know, remember. But um, what happened is they went to the same church that I joined called Mother Liberty, which is the mother church of the CME church. It's based in Jackson, Tennessee. This is the new one because the, I think the 1992 tornado destroyed the original Mother Liberty uh, church. Um, in a nutshell, I have a book with a huge chapter on Denise LaSalle, uh, about the life of James Wolf. I finished it several hundred pages long. Uh, I gave that to James Wolf in what, 2010? Mm-hmm. And he didn't do anything with it, and he just bugged me, would you come back and work on this book? So I came back, and I worked on it. And I, was a, I stayed with the Wolves from February 24th 
almost till Thanksgiving of 2015. I lived in the basement. Uh, they live on what? I think Henderson Road in um, Jackson. I think it's Henderson Road. And one of the things that I did do, oh, what you need to know is that when I lived in Jackson 2010, James Wolfe wanted Denise to do a song, and uh, they couldn't come up with words, and I'm good with words. So I wrote lyrics up for a song called A Blood Donor Saved My Life. Mm -hmm. So I, they had been stumped for a few weeks, and I just wrote something in two, three minutes and sent it to them. And I'm one of the few people on the planet that Denise LaSalle would ever consent to work with and doing lyrics for a song. Mm. Uh, so that's how highly she thought of my word flow. Wow. Um, when I came back, uh, I basically worked for James and Denise. I went with her to the, uh, the B.B. Uh, King funeral where Denise LaSalle spoke, that would have never happened had I not gone because the people were, did not know she was there. And I was behind stage. I gave my seat to Denise because it was packed in Indianola. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, excuse me, if you happen to have Stevie Wonder who did call in to say something, why not have the queen of the blues, she's up front waiting to speak? Why can't she speak? So if you ever see the video of the B.B. King funeral, you'll see I'm behind her, holding her up, helping her get mm -hmm. on the stage to speak. That, that really helped her remind people she was still alive. And uh, there are other things I would do for her, you know, cook, clean. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about a song. I don't know if she finished it. But I, I had a song idea for her <laughs> that I called the Cougar Twerk. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do the Cougar Twerk. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so we would sit down, you know, and just talk. Of course, just writing stuff for her husband as well as doing lots of work for him that he didn't pay me for. Mm -hmm. um, I helped redo her bios. I, I got her an honor from the governor as an ambassador, an arts ambassador for the state of Tennessee. And what I tried to do was put some steam in her, uh, her career. Her husband, uh, James, is basically, he's a kind of manipulative music industry spouse, okay? I'm, I'm being generous. And he didn't like me helping her. Um, one of the things that happened, I'll just say this, uh, he never wanted to pay me for the work I did for him. I didn't bug them. I just told a, a friend of mine who knew, got very close to Denise and I'll give you her number and she can talk about Denise better than I. I basically told my friend Janet, who was asking me, are they paying me or whatever? I said, you know, um, Janet. Sometimes people need to do the right thing. If they don't pay me, they don't treat me right, they're going to have bad health and one of them is going to die no more than two years after I leave. I don't want to have want people to treat me right. Um, I wasn't asking for a whole lot. In fact, I've done all kinds. You know, 
folk who are activists, helper type, black folk, there are a lot of black folks who say they don't like slavery, but they in fact love it. Don't, they yeah. won't give you five cents if they had $10 million, but one a million, I'm sorry, $100 million worth of work out of you. Worse than white folks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I left in November 2015, right? Mm-hmm. That's about two years. She passed January 8th, 2018. Okay. It's just about two years, like I said. And by the way, Wolf and her have been off and on between the two of them, in and out of the hospital. Mm. Um, she's a very nice lady, an excellent cook. There's a lot more stuff I'm not going to say it out there because I don't want to, you know, I genuinely care about If I like you, I don't try to dog you even if we have an issue with one another. I'll leave you alone. I'm not going to do anything to you. But what I do... Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah, actually, she ever talked about the Al Jackson murder, Al Jackson Jr., the sax drummer, who was killed in his home, supposed home invasion. And they said that the FBI said it was an ex-boyfriend, or somebody was saying it was an ex-boyfriend that was involved in his murder. Did she ever talk about Al Jackson Jr. at all, or Stax? No, not that one. The things mm-hmm. that Denise kept a lot of, of secrets, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, Denise is a loyal friend. If she's your friend, she'd do for you. I mean, she's just a good person. Look, when I first moved back from working for a husband mm-hmm. who wasn't really giving me anything, I needed, I didn't have enough money to pay my phone bill. I didn't have any money after I you know, moved. Right. You know, she called me. And said, God want me to bless you. You have a bill that needs to be paid. I said, so which one is it? And I said, well, I need my phone bill paid. She went in and paid my phone bill. Mm. And that helped me uh, get back on my feet, just having access to a phone. Mm-hmm. She, she has a heart of gold. I mean, just um, there's, there's so much. I mean, that... Mm-hmm. It's sort of like Malcolm Shabazz. Certain things you, you, you know, they're so quick to tear people down in our community. Um, and so I don't want to be the person that's always the one that goes and, and kicks someone. So the way I'm going to say this is that she talked about different things, but not about that. I think... Um, one of her friends, um, I'm trying to think, what's the one that sings through the years, I keep on toiling? And I'm trying to think of his name. Is it, it's not Oris Mays. Not Oris Mays. One of, the, one of the people died. Let me see. We were just with him. I have these pictures. I have to send you a copy of one. Mm-hmm. But, um, Denise was so um, loved by her musicians and other people. Um, but she didn't talk badly about people typically. I mean, and if she did this, with, not with me, you know. And uh, she, I can just tell you she loved children, fanatically loved kids. And, um, but 
she's had she had a lot of things break her heart. You know, um, when I was there, her adopted son went into drug rehab. Her granddaughter, through uh, Ray uh, Ray Wolf, uh, Ray's daughter. Well, this call what it is has gotten hard into lesbianism and drugs. Was in has consistently been in trouble. Um, going back to 2015, I don't know where she is right now. Um, these things have been some real rough things that have happened in her family. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, now that she's gone, you know what happened with Denise. One of the first things that happened is that she had a. Uh, stroke what my friend claims is that she was talking bad about me when she had a stroke um, or a massive heart attack and she had to have a what a triple bypass surgery i don't know if that's true or if my friend is embellishing but i know that james wolf was very mad because um he claims I didn't give him what I gave him. Can you imagine if I've written a set 500 or 400 page book for you? You haven't given me a hundred dollars and you feel like you've been robbed. Not only that, I wrote maybe about 80 business letters. I probably helped raise $25,000 for him. I want to let you know, he didn't give me $250. Okay, I get your wife in the international news, right? National news. I get the Jackson papers to start picking her up and the Memphis papers picking her up. Remember, this stuff started to get back around her in 2015, remember? Mm-hmm. That's when I was working on it. I did this over the objections of her husband who didn't want me to do anything for her. He, only, he would always compete with her. He's a jealous Negro. Fact, real talk, okay? And my thing is I'm going to help her whenever she asks me. Denise had um, sciatic nerve damage, and uh, what ended up happening is, you know, Denise apparently was a diabetic. I didn't know that. And... uh, that diabetes started to spread and um, they uh, first, I think they're looking at taking her foot and then they ended up cutting uh, her, uh, a significant part of her leg off. And, and that just, uh, it wasn't going to get better after that, you know? Yes. And Wolf, whose health isn't that good, and he's got some new woman who couldn't wait to put in the ground to spend the money. When she was, people sending him money when she was sick, you know, he was like Wilma and Betty from the Flintstones. Charge it, okay? I'm not lying. And, you know, when I reached out and said, hey, I'm praying for you, <laughs> I never got a response. He he didn't want me talking to her, okay? And that's how some people are. 
And so um, Wolf, I hope he's able to do something because in many ways, much of the money that she earned and generated, which was in the millions, I don't think he handled. In fact, I'm certain he didn't handle properly or wisely. And so as a result of bad business uh, deals and other things, a lot of what she had earned ended up not um, amounting to much because it got wasted. You know, he bought real estate in downtown Jackson, but the buildings weren't necessarily the best of buildings. One of them was okay, but, you know, it cost a lot to maintain. You get where I'm coming from. Then the white folks didn't want to do business with him. And then Wilfred had a way of dealing with black folks, but black folks don't like dealing with them. So, and then he's got, basically didn't get treated, didn't make the amount of money that he could have made when he sold the radio stations that he owned. And when he tried to get uh, W, well, he was working on a lease to own a arrangement for W, uh, uh, WP, uh, World Power, sorry, World Gospel Power Radio, W, something like that. I, I, I worked a couple of nights. I worked for the radio station that Wolf was trying to get. The white folks deliberately sabotaged the transmissions and things to make the station fail. And Wolf was working with this lesbian sister who promised to help him get ad revenue. I warned Wolf that she's not going to do anything. And she uh, basically made the station fail. And uh, Wolf ended up, they, they, have had, they had financial problems from uh, 2011 forward. Now, maybe he's out of it now that Denise has died and there's been a research of interest in their music, more radio plays, it's more royalty money. But that's sort of Denise for you. A very nice lady, talented lady. She has a lot of music people haven't even heard that's really quite good. And uh, it's in the hands of her husband. Let's see what he does with it. But I can assure you... Um, she really did deserve uh, more help from her husband, more proper management, and I think she trusted him. You know, a lot of women in the business let their husbands or boyfriends be their managers, and sometimes that's not the wisest of things. Well. And I hope I don't sound like I don't love Denise LaSalle because that's not the way I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to just speak to the truth, man. You boy witness, man. You know, everything ain't peachy. You know, it's life. You know, life can be hard and, and unforgiving and not fair, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Now, there's a chance that they can preserve that legacy, but I... Uh, we'll see. I'll leave it there. So let me see. How much longer do you want to go? We need to do this more often, Hurt. Oh, yeah, um, I definitely agree. I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, we could cut off right now. Or, I mean, because there's so much stuff we can get into, but I'll definitely uh, connect with you very soon. Very good. Very yeah, good. I mean, you, man, on a movement. You're right about that. Uh, we don't take care of our people, man. They're, you know, Malcolm X died, bro. 
Yeah, people say we love Malcolm X and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, we, we we love those that hate that hate us and hate us, those that love us. We've mm-hmm. got everything backwards. You know, if a coon were to make a body, he would put the buttocks on the front side and the genitalia in the back. <laughs> So anyway, I look forward. Send me a link on this. We're gonna share this, and uh, brother, I I've enjoyed it. I wish there's so much more to talk about. I mean, we got to talk about Iran. We got to talk about Syria. I will. Yeah, like I said, we'll do it more often. I mean, I just I've been traveling and stuff, and on the road yeah. and stuff. But I definitely reach that back out to you because I, I definitely enjoy what you've been doing with brother Darren Muhammad. I think it's a shame that, you know, I don't know what's going on with Carl Nelson, why he won't have, you know, let other people or certain people come back on the show. But oh, I will tell you what I think it is. See, I can't I'm not saying it so or anything like that, but I'm going to just say um, this. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, the allegation is, is that Kathy Hughes' son is – super pro-LGBTQ and so people who are speak out on that are in trouble. There's a lot of advertising for people that are pro-LGBTQ that are going. In fact, if I quoted the little lesbian who was angry because when I was on call show, he slipped in one of these lesbians from Black Lives Matter. And to me, if you come at me like the man and you're a woman, I'm going to treat you like a man. Mm-hmm. I don't come at women like I don't respect them. I don't do that. And I'm not going to have a woman come at me that, because it's not fair. A lot of sisters are out of order and a lot of men are out of order. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I punished that lesbian on there and I do it again. And he tried to lower my mic and I just raised my voice and just went toe to toe with that broad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but she says, Carl, you can't let this happen. We've been good to you. We've been good to you. <laughs> yep. And, you know, yep. Wow. And we, I, let's do this because we got to talk about Carl Nelson a little bit since this has come up. It's not just me. It's also irritated Jeannie. Mm-hmm. So all the people that are black nationalistic that don't want to bow down to uh, LGBTQ have been excluded. I don't hate folk who are same-sex people. Look, I, I, I live in the. Look, I grew up in D.C. Right. In fact, my last name is short, but I never wear shorts. I learned after about time I was like uh, ten. I'm sorry, fifteen years old. Don't wear shorts because of all the dudes hollering at you. Mm-hmm. Never wear. You, you'll never see me with shorts on. Everything's always full length and loose fitting. Okay, because I live in D.C. That's how bad it is here, all right? My parents had a ministry full of people that are LGBTQ. Live in my house, okay? I'm just real talk. I know what it's like to come home from school. Not in the 90s or the 2000s, but 1975, come home from school, and there are like 20 gay people on my front porch. And I'm coming home from school with other kids looking at me with the eyes like, who the owl? Mm-hmm. And so 
this idea that if you just because you're critical of something on an honest basis means you hate people, they don't know a damn thing about the life that a lot of people have led. They don't know that I volunteered and worked with folks that had AIDS when people didn't even know how you caught it, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know that my mother worked with people who were gay, dying from syphilis. I used to go to work with my mother. I don't hate people, but I'm honest about the consequences of choices that people make. And it is a choice to lay down with someone, to give yourself to someone is a choice. You were not born with the gene to put your penis in a woman or in a man. That requires, unless it's rape, a choice. You weren't born with someone's cooch in your mouth. No one's born with a vagina on their mouth. You have to put it there. Why are people acting? I mean, this is pseudoscience, quack madness in the country. It's despicable. I, I'm not hating nobody, don't, but don't force this. Now, you need to know that the pastor that I know, uh, uh, you need to have Earl Carter on your show. Have you ever had Carter on there, the one that's been exposing Church of God and Christ having all the pedophiles? No, I have not. Uh, would you have him? Are you afraid to have him on? I'm not, no. I mean, I'm open to it. <laughs> okay, well, good. I'm going to send you his number. Let mm-hmm. me take tried to get him on Carl's show, and Carl told me his sound man goes to the church where all the gay people are in Los Angeles, so he couldn't, he couldn't even... Bishop Blake Church or somebody yeah, else? Okay. Bishop Church. He couldn't, mm-hmm. he, couldn't, he couldn't take a stand. It would hurt him too much to even discuss the situation. Well, I'm actually going to is where Kojic started. So, I mean, I'm in a, in a <laughs> no, little we, guy that got his Matthews that talk about that a lot. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. it, I don't hate Blake. Blake was good to my father and mother. Right. I'm not mad at anyone, but if you did it, you did it. Right. Okay. If you kick someone out of the church for preaching out of the Bible, why are you in church? Why don't you set up a cult where it's okay to be, be, be uh, same-sex attracted? Don't be in the church. I mean, the Bible's very clear about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. And it doesn't say that even if you're tempted or you've done it, that you keep doing it. The Bible says, I must decrease so God can increase. I can't say, well, I want to do what I want to do and be a good believer. No, you're not. You may as well worship yourself. Now, um, some things I want to just mention there's a really good trailer of a film. I need to find some people, brother, that can show a film in either Memphis or Chicago or whatever. The film is called Black, White, and Blue. And, uh, you know, I'm featured in it. It's a documentary by Curtis School. And then there's another one. Uh, did you see my second documentary called uh, Dred Scott Nation? Yeah, when did it come? It came out a couple years ago. It came out in fifteen. Yeah, I seen that. Yeah, so you went to St. Louis. I mean, you went there and interviewed. Yeah, people. yeah. I, you know, of course, I I, I knew don't. one of the people you interviewed, a young sister named Kiara. I knew one. Of, I knew her. I know her. Kiara Lynn Smith, I believe. Right. Yeah, yeah she's a young artist in St. Louis. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, let me see. There's, there's several people I need to introduce you to. Now, the other thing is that um, 
I hope. In fact, do you have any listeners in Baltimore? I mean, I'll, I'm, yeah, I got people living everywhere that listen to the show. I hope that. Do yeah. I need to? Do I need to give them my phone number? I want some folks to reach out to me. We're trying to overturn police brutality and mass incarceration. That's mm. the last thing I should talk about, and we can pick this up again. I'm working with Brother Anthony Wiggins. Okay. He's the brother that's been bringing the Justice Department to shut down corruption in the city of Baltimore. The whole effort that what we want to do is get a sheriff in who can effectively demand the vacation of all the elected officers in the city. Since these people won't stand up for the people, we're going to demand that they go. Mm-hmm. How you like that? Imagine black folk rising up against these democratic coons. Yeah, well, no, it's just time is now. Yeah. Oh, to me, I would rather have a regular bowel movement that didn't have it all come out at one time. You know, diarrhea with your run just get it out. Mm-hmm. Now, um, just uh, I don't know. I mean. If, I'll, I'll put. So I, I would like to hear from folks if they find some of what we're talking about interesting. Do, should I do that? Tell them how to contact me. I mean, go with your go with your spirit. What, whatever you feel like doing, feel free to do it. Okay. Well, let's let me just do this. If you want to reach out to me, I'm at wrandyshort at gmail dot com. Randy Short at Facebook. Uh, Randy Short, uh, 1965 and Instagram, um, W, Dr. W. Randy Short and LinkedIn. Um, if you call me and it's not too crazy, it's 202-710-4294, 202-710-4294. We're looking for some people, man, to help us turn stuff around in Baltimore. We need to put this brother, Anthony Wiggins, and get a brother who literally had his teeth kicked in by the cops for standing up against injustice to be the next sheriff. He's got the background, the experience. He's had over 50,000 people vote for him and two elections with no money and no campaign. If we can raise a little bit of money get a few volunteers. The one city in the country that has the lowest homicide closure rate, I mean that in the city of Baltimore, for every 100 murders, only 10 get solved. We got to change this to have the same no good sheriff. We call him Overdose Anderson because he's never seen the key of drugs that he didn't think didn't belong on the street. Um, we got to get rid of these people. They've been there 30 years letting this stuff go on. They plant guns on people. They murder people. They sell drugs. The cops are dirty terrorists driving our community crazy, oinking and leaving poop, poo-poo everywhere. And they need to be reined in. And we need some help. Uh, I'm a strategist. I know with five to 10 good people. If we could win in Baltimore, we could create a model that could be taken to other cities to show black folks how to empower themselves, how to coordinate a coup 
We need regime changes in our community. We need the coons to be put out for the freedom fighters to come in. And I'll leave it there. In fact, brother, you have my permission to put for this segment piece a way for folks to contact me. And I'll just say, if you're crazy with me, I'll be crazy with you. If you're gracious with me, I'll be gracious with you. It's best for people to email me so I can read what you're saying because they do all kinds of weird stuff with my phone. And, um, yeah, there's so much more to talk about. Uh, Just, um, in fact, I haven't even talked like Donald Trump. I haven't done Trump on your show before. No, we'll we'll have some more segments coming up. You know what I'm saying? There'll be no problem because there's a lot of cool things I want to think about right now, but I know it'll probably take some more in-depth analysis to talk about. Uh, I know we we talked about a couple things off off the record, you know, earlier in the day, so. Yeah, yeah. Back on. yeah, well, and we, yeah, we need to talk about these white guys shooting everybody. Yep. And, and South <laughs> Africa and Haiti. Right. And you hear right. the United States isn't respecting Venezuela's election. Man, these folks want to fight everywhere. And you know what? All these coons that don't stand up, their kids are going to be drafted one day, sent off to another country to die. But, you know, that's not like. Yes, sir. Oh, let me let you rest. You have peace, my brother. I love you, sir. All right. Thank you so much, uh, man. We love you, man. In the words of God, take care of yourself. All right. Bye bye. All right, brother.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.